Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forest Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. The Black Effect Presents features honest conversations and exclusive interviews. A space for artists, everyday people, and listeners to amplify, elevate, and empower black voices with great conversations. Make sure to listen to the Black Effect Presents podcast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? It's your man Carlos Miller of the 85 South Show. Do me a favor. Make sure you check out The Black Market, hosted by me, only on the 85 South Show feed. Subscribe to the 85 South Show to hear and tune in to The Black Market. Hear amazing interviews with entrepreneurs, creatives, and thought leaders, people who are doing amazing things in the black community. Listen to The Black Market on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. It is time, like I tell people every week, to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. And I always tell people, you hear people talking about their gifts, they talk about their passion. If you have gifts, leave with them. 
And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. Interviews I bring on the show is for you. It's celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. My next guest is one of my favorites, man. He was on the show about a year and a half ago, Molly Music. He is a gospel artist first and foremost, but who will not be put in a box. He loves the freedom of creating amazing music no matter what the genre is, gospel, R&B, hip-hop, or rock, whatever he feels. That's his move. Molly won a Grammy this year for the song Move It On, his hit collaboration with Jonathan Mac Reynolds. He's nominated for three stellar awards this year. He's gotten back on the road because COVID shut everybody down in 2020, but he's getting back out there. Got to make that check. Got to make that check. Since things have started to open up across the U.S. and we'll be announcing new music and new tour dates coming soon, and I'll be the first to put them out there for my man. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation again, Molly Music. How you doing, Molly? Wow, Miss McDonald, <laughs> how's it going? What an honor! Beautiful introduction. Good to be back again. Hey, world, let's get it. Well, the thing about you, the, the, you know, when we talk, man, it was almost because I have a, I come from a big family, Molly. You know, I'm from Houston, Texas. I have a, six sisters, two brothers, and I felt I was talking to my younger brother here, man. You know, because because <laughs> you know you 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 know you you got that energy, man. You 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 still have unconquered territories that you want to like. Want to want to want to make a difference in, but the more important sure. thing is, we always can get boxed in. Especially when we do R and B, people think, "Oh, you should be doing R and B. You do country. You, you what you what black? What you doing over in country? You should be over there." And so we're seeing so many walls coming down in our era in this timeline. Are you feeling that's comfortable for what you're trying to do as well? I do feel that it's effective, mm-hmm. but comfortable is not. The word. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It's good for what we want business to do. It's good for the spreading of our wings. But it's kind of like a, a racial conversation. You open up the doors to be heard out by a different race, and then it gets uncomfortable for mm-hmm. me. Just because you start bringing out different issues. Mm-hmm. I recently traveled to Nashville to do some songwriting with Chad, lead singer of the rock band, Christian rock band, Unspoken. Mm-hmm. And it was a challenge for me, mm-hmm. especially coming from soul background gospel background. Mm-hmm. But I had to remember I have songs out like Gimme Gimme, mm-hmm. Ready Aim, Impulses, mm-hmm. songs that have rock uh, feels for it. So man, the spreading and the falling of the genres is definitely good. I've been watching it happen in hip hop and other genres for a long time and I'm glad that it's finally made it to gospel. Well, you know, interesting, but it's about a beat, isn't it? Because when you talk about, uh, you know, because it is like a 1-3 or a 2-4 beat, when mm-hmm. you're talking about music, when you're talking about R&B beats and you're talking about, you're talking about rock beats especially because they can hang right. on the notes a lot longer. How does that, you know, because we all know that gospel is driven by emotion. And right. and so and so you're the emotionally driven guy and then you go to rock, a lot of times it's just driven by sound. Right. So how do you blend the two to get the results that you want? Excellent question. Well, they bring me in normally as a lyricist. Mm -hmm. I write lyrics like the enemy comes only to steal, kill and destroy. Mm -hmm. Coming in with things like that. I said a Christian rock band. One thing about the genre gospel is it is sound. It doesn't necessarily have a sound anymore. Of Mm -hmm. course, you have. Uh, the Mahalia Jackson. Right. You know, it comes up, you know, you have the, um, I don't know, not, you know, House of Prayer, and that's your House of Prayer. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sound. You have mm-hmm. Baptist music, mm-hmm. um, worship music like Hillsong and stuff like that. If you notice, the music could be anything. Gospel and Christian has now solely based its genre around the content. 
as long as at some point you say that Jesus Christ is Lord, it could sound like any type of beat. Right. You get what I mean? Right. So the um, our genre is mostly about the edification of God, Absolutely. not necessarily a sound. But, but it is, because we just talk music now, Molly, okay? You know, because of the fact that uh, when you look at R&B, you know, like you start naming different artists that, that lie themselves in that whole genre. Because when you got to hip hop and rap, it just like tore itself away from R&B. Right. It tore itself. This, this is not even R&B. They're not even singing, okay? Clearly not singing. Mm-hmm. And then when you get into R&B, you had soul you know, you had, yeah. you had the, you Neo had the, soul. Yeah. all those different genres. So when, when you start talking about gospel, I start realizing, man, there are many, many layers. When you talk about Mahalia Jackson, you talk about yeah. Kurt Franklin, you talk about Yolanda Tasha Adams, Cubs, you know, Donnie McClurkin, you know, John P. Key and choir. Right. How did, and that's from a creative standpoint, that's a challenge, huh? Yeah, it could be. But what I noticed while coming up in church is a lot of the creativity came out of one person um, creatively. Like uh, you might have had 600 people in Ricky Dillard's choir, but they were all locked on Ricky. Right. And everything that was coming out of their mouth and the band was something that he probably heard at a coffee table that a few mornings before and taught them. Same with Hezekiah. So Mm -hmm. being a praise and worship leader first, I know that you could spend time with God in the car, Mm -hmm. tell some vocalists how the part go, tell the band, and before you know it, you're in a high spirit of praise. So right, right, a lot right, of the right. big ideas can come out of one person. Um, mm-hmm. Beethoven had a whole orchestra, but it was his music every line. So I think it's just, um, you know, just based on who the idea is coming out of, and it could be one person, even though many, many people are healthy. You know, when I, when I look at you, Molly, I always say I have to bring this question to everybody who comes on the show. Where did it start for you? Because I, I look at myself and I try to pinpoint, I always tell people I've been doing this since I was 18 years old. When I really mm-hmm. looked at my life, you know, I've been I've been uplifting, I've been creative, I've been a person who who thought differently, just saw sort a different path to success. I came from a black neighborhood, but I didn't want to die in a black neighborhood. I thought there was yes. more to the world out there. And 18 years old, I was committed to seeing more of that world. So that so I locked that date as important when it really started for me. And then I went mm-hmm. to college, and college changed my life. What did it start for you, Marley Music? Well. I begged my father for Pro Tools, which is a sound or wave recording software Mm -hmm. that is about maybe $500 to $600. It requires a (laughs) a computer, a monitor, a mouse, sound speakers. I was asking my dad for this at 13 years old. Uh, I, I was laughing because you said five hundred and six hundred dollars. Okay, yeah. then you said thirteen. I'm gonna bust out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> My dad was saying, "Oh, this is not a money making conversation for this boy to do." <laughs> I said, "You know, I understood." I asked him around thirteen after going to a studio with a friend, and that's how I learned. That's how people get their voice come, to come out of the radio. As a young boy, I'm always hearing mom sing. I'm always hearing. My sister's saying, but I'm like, how do we come out of the radio like Luther Vandross? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I didn't know if it was some type of process, and it was. Pro Tools and, like, you know, electronic and software-based computers was what it was after the tape started going, before you laid it on wax. But now you could do it digitally. I asked my dad for that at 13. No. 14. No. 15. No. <laughs> Desperately, he got it for me around 16. I was mastering it around 17 and utilizing it for church stuff, like putting thunder behind my pastor's preaching if he spoke about a valley or a war or 
try to find ways to use the uh, technological sound advancement that I was blessed with by my dad at 16 to do what my mom was making me do. And son, now you got this pro tooth, but don't talk about no women. Don't talk about no bottles. And you're going to be talking about God. Mm -hmm. I don't want no curse words and make sure that you creatively, creatively don't do that same note stuff. I said, okay, ma, I could do that. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's what set my values early. Mm -hmm. So even though I had a huge future and I probably would have been doing all types of music, my values were set based on me getting music for church God being put into my heart in my gift and me promising the people who gave it to me that I wouldn't stray from that path. As I grew older, that got more and more difficult because I want to be more rebellious. I want to start echoing sounds that I hear, mm-hmm. but holding on to those values kept it unique and a special anointing on it. Well, yeah, I like so this, begin- the Molly, I like this conversation because of the fact they talk about you earned it, you know, Man. because at 13, they knew you were talented, but did they know, the, did you understand the value of this? Five hundred dollars or this six hundred dollar device. Because right, right, I always right. tell people if you if you give somebody a car, and let them loan it. Then guess what? They, they they if they wreck it, they go, oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But if they were tied to the damage of the wreck, then they have a different conversation when they come talk to you. Yeah, man. And so now at that early age, were there friends who started? I know tied to the church, and you started seeing people react mm-hmm. to your beats, react to your music because you're in gospel, man. Because you know the thing about it is, if you're in rap, if you're in R and B, you know, right. you get you get you know of R and B, you singing for the ladies. You know what I'm saying? Right, if you're in right. rap, you're in the street, just just doing rhymes for your crew. Who were you doing it for? My pastor gave me the opportunity to be minister of music and start playing at his church when I was 11. Now, I said, I asked my dad for Pro Tools at 13, so I've already been singing as a minister of music and playing learning chords in the church for three years already on a Yamaha DX7. Now, that's as old a keyboard as you could get. <laughs> and big. And big, too. And big. <laughs> I'm blowing cartridges out, trying to change in the middle. of the. It's not what I need. So I was a young musician coming in at the shift of a technological era. Uh-huh. Like, synthesizers were growing into bigger stuff. Yes. When the churches just before I started playing in church, which was very early, were mostly organ. Mm-hmm. All right. So we didn't have an organ in that church. So the keyboard wasn't enough. So I wanted strings. I wanted all these different types of things. So that's what kind of set the tone. It was to please my pastor. It was to be able to show that I was ready for the leadership position that he give, gave me, even though I was so young. Mm-hmm. I anticipated for people to say I was unauthorized and should not be associated with such a position like minister of music. So I gave my all to it. I mm-hmm. gave my commitment. And it kind of gave me responsibility before I wanted friends. So now, even though I had friends and companions, I was, if I wasn't doing chorus, I was trying to make sure I got back to learn my Pro Tools because my dad wasn't going to buy me right. software that I didn't know how to use. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now I have to read user books, manuals, and I became pretty obsessive and a bit of a nerd over the <laughs> technological part. And once I started bringing CDs to school, it was over. I'm saying it for the dances. I'm 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 doing the the national anthem pre-recorded over the I just was finding ways to use the Pro Tools and it became really awesome. But it didn't hit until the world heard it on MySpace, and that's where social media comes in at. Right. So my music was right on the curve of a shift, mm-hmm. and once everybody heard it online, because mm-hmm. Black Planet just died, mm-hmm. I was a MySpace artist. By the time they found Molly Music, I had my song "I Hate You," no music, mm-hmm. uh, all I have to give. And uh, I think forward on my MySpace page, and the rest is history. Well, history is, is, is still giving you uh, uh, love. You know, Grammy yes. with your boy Jonathan Mac Reynolds, who I had on the show. Uh, 
you know, working with an artist like that because he's really creative. He's young, and uh, yeah. Talk about collaborations because that's a key. Because you know, I've I've, I've listened to writers and especially producers mm-hmm. because they they're brought in for a talent, but they also have to be mature enough to understand who they're working with, but also yeah. strong enough to be able to get the finished product to the end end zone. So talk yeah. about when you when collaborations, the one you did with Jonathan McRiddle, which won a Grammy, by the way. Moving on. Thank you so much. It was such a gift to be able to hold that coming out of the box. And it represented what collaboration represents for me. Sacrifice. Everybody wants it to be them alone. Everybody wants to win a race because of how good they are. Uh, but so many things were going on and I just really wanted to help so many people. I noticed once I got finished acting inside of the like movie industry mm-hmm. that the most important investment was like the last two million dollars that a movie needs and people can come on as a final investor because a movie ran short on a 10 million dollar budget or something and they give the final two and then it is the breaking point of it that's what i started doing with my music jonathan had a whole album the people album was killing he had a whole campaign but collaboration was just so we could bring our jetpacks together to get (laughs) over the edge of course we could do something effective in gospel, but can we put a dent in the world? And that was something we weren't planning to do, but the collaboration goes in depth. It was agreement from me and Jonathan and Spirit, but right. then it also was our teams. I'm with RCAI mm-hmm. and he is with E1. And those companies also collaborated for us to have the success that we had based on, you know, working the record, calling people. It was two labels collaborating. So I'm very proud of what gospel music did because we obtained this reward. Uh, or this award by working together. There's a lot of people who just simply don't do that in God. Well, you know, you're there at RCAI with my boy, Phil Thornton, who I call a visionary. No. Hey, don't get me started on Phil. <laughs> <laughs> that guy is awesome. And yeah. he's been grinding from the beginning. So I was so excited to see that his promotion finally came. Mm-hmm. So it's like Steve Nash. Oh, you have a team now that you're coaching? Can I play with y'all? Mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily interested and functioning with the system this way. But if you're over it, I know God is involved, prayer is involved, mm-hmm. and I can have success, and it worked out. So well, I'm happy to well, be you know, the, 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 the beauty of you is that there's a certain genuine level of conversation because, you know, this is, this is not insulting. You know, a lot of people... They walk in. They you know their gospel. They just come. They 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 real churchy. You you Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! It's a blessing to be oh, here today. Oh, oh, oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! <laughs> which, which I, which I got that. I got that. But I really think. I really think Molly. I can eat some barbecue with you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I really think I can play some basketball with you. You I know what I'm saying? And, we can scream at the TV a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I really do believe that, man. Because <laughs> that is that's part of your upbringing. You know, despite yes. the fact. At 11 years old, you was given a leadership role, which is a mature mm-hmm. thing, and also can be something that can like pigeonhole a person's personality. But how mm-hmm. did you really maintain your personality, man, with all that pressure of an 11-year-old talking to yes. adults, considered a gifted individual, because you just don't slide yes. that on over there, but then your parents over there going, really? Boy, take that trash out there. Boy, yes. boy, 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 if you don't clean up yes. your room, because that was happening at the house. So that really right. kept you straight, correct? Yes. And then coming up in Savannah, Georgia, it was happening outside the house. You can get whooped by anybody <laughs> in Georgia. You get what I'm So Absolutely. it was a blessing because I'll sing. I'm 13 years old and 
the power of God falls at a at a, a meeting. Right. Um, and then I get spoken to by one of the elder women, mm-hmm. one of the grandmoms. Mm-hmm. And this is all she's going to say. She'll never get around to saying good job. Right. She say, <laughs> don't forget where you come from now. <laughs> and that's, that means that she see me going play. Right, she right, forgot right, right. to tell me that, but she let me know no matter what, that I needed to be humble. And I remember those people. Or they'll say, all right, keep doing what you're doing. Don't change nothing. They're going to ask you to do this, do that. Don't change nothing. Right. I'm like, yes, ma'am. You know, I'm right. going to stay that path. And I just remember those people who say, remember the little people when you get there. And it's cool because it's a bit back and forth because you have some elite people who want to feel that they're around other pompous people. Right. Um, but that's just not the way that I'm bringing it. God brings all success and we're lucky to get whatever we get in the first place. And it's all about loving people. So right. that's the greatest wealth. Any money that I ever got came from somebody. Absolutely. You get what I mean? Absolutely. Hey, Molly, I'm talking to Molly Music, my man. Um Three uh, a Grammy Grammy win this year with uh, his collaboration "Moving On" with Jonathan Mac Reynolds, and then uh, some interviewing Phil Thornton, and then I just run through this list of you know all the artists from the label RCAI, mm-hmm. which is based out of Nashville, and I saw Molly Music three nominations. Mm-hmm. I said I got to get it. It was just a couple a week and a half ago. I said if, if, I said, it was I, crazy. I've been it's a it's awesome. I said. I said, I got to get him on the show and talk about this because, you know what I say? Because when you say the Stella Awards, I see you because we're going to talk about this year, but I want to go back in 2020 because that's when you're going to really tell me the story of, of how this happened for 2021. That's, yeah, you had to work through the obstacles of last year to Absol- get where we got. Absolutely. And so yeah. this, those three nominations, how does that make you feel? You know, uh, just talk Ooh. about the steps and uh, of that process. Like you said, the team. Getting the 18, because yeah. we don't do this by ourselves. And sometimes we, we get out there, we feel like we by ourselves. But you yeah. had three nominations, stellar awards. Talk about that. Determination, perseverance, and faith. I can't necessarily say, like, in releasing it, like, oh, man, this is locked up. It wasn't like that for me, because there were so many business things that started to happen. This was my first project as an owner of K-Approved. ENT, which is, you know, my company, that's where I'm going to be releasing other artists so they don't have to endure the things that I had to endure to get where I am. Mm -hmm. So my attempt from being independent and not being signed anymore to now in this licensing situation with Phil Thor and Ron Hill over at RCAI, I wanted to create a label to when I saw the next Molly's and when I saw the next talent, I could protect it and, Mm -hmm. you know, harvest it and push it out. So the Book of Molly was my first project from that licensing thing and it was difficult financially paying producers yes. uh publishing uh, getting clearances on any samples uh getting all musicians taken care of it was cool because it's it's a blessing on a small level but if you play piano on a john legend song how much money are you going to ask for at the end right. you get, you're not going right. to say no it's okay just give me a hundred dollars you're going to be trying to find out how to get <laughs> Enough money for the rest of your life because you played piano on a John Legend song. And some points. So I and think- some points. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the things that had me a bit discouraged right. going in. You know, and it's always that way because of the fact that I would love just to be a talent, but because then you're sitting over there just answering to somebody. To be able to make that commitment paying taxes, you know, paying for paying value, then you get an understanding yeah. of how this really works. How are Tyler Perry really works? I can assure you, Tyler yes. Perry knows everybody he's paying. 
Okay, how Will Packer, how all these Steve Harvey, all these people, uh, Ava DuVernay, Oprah Winfrey, you're just yes. doing what they're doing. And believe me, they know who they pay. And they also know the, the the pain and frustration of being an entrepreneur. So you went from a talent to an entrepreneur. And that's important because that allows you to collaborate Man. and know what money you do properly or what money Thank you, you pay. Thank you so much for noting that. That's so awesome for you to see. and and catch because I can only hope that that is what happens because a lot of people still see me as a talent but you can only go so far there without the proper team and this is a, a huge step for me so you're right online and you can't really make too many changes for people yourself or the world from this the artist position so it's good to like be in a position that you can make some things happen not for yourself but for the future well, you as well. know the thing about it, that's why that's why I created this show so I could talk to individuals like you Marla because 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 as a talent or an individual who buys tickets or you can get caught up in the uh, showbiz or the show. Yes. And yes. it can make you believe that you can't do that. Or they tell you you can't do that because it's so complicated. And yes. so I can assure you when you was making this transition, it was a lot of, as they say, trepidation. Fear. Yeah, static. Uh, yeah. You don't go, uh, uh, am I going to make a mistake? I don't want to mess up. Right. And then when you did it, I remember when I did a big, my first neighborhood awards back in Los Angeles by 2003. When I finished it, I realized, I said, I started crying because of the fact that all along I could have done this. Wow. But I had been told I couldn't do it because it was so hard to do. And so when I hear you saying, Man, it was a lot of stress. It was like, that's part of the process of walking through fire. Yeah. And you do it again and again and again. And guess what? It's not because it's easier, because you trust yourself. Right. And that's what we're trying to get at when I'm talking to you as a person who said, look, Rashawn, I won't be pigeonholed because I want to know what it feels like to do R&B music. I want to know mm -hmm. what it feels like to do rock music. I want to feel hip hop music because guess what? Then I understand my value. And that's all this yeah. conversation about is about your value. And the first time I met you, I always felt I was talking to a uniquely different individual because you value things differently. And now yeah. you tell me you've been doing this since you were 11 years old. I, I appreciate and respect you even more, man. I'm grateful for that. I was blessed to be able to have those responsibilities. And you just nailed it. I'm so honored that you've been uh, seeing and following what I've been able to do because I can only hope that it's that. A lot of times, you know, as you said, we think we're by ourselves and that people miss it. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, really cool to see. But all of the positions were necessary. The first one was a servant leader. My mother was doing a lot of the uh, management with Holly Carter. I was young. Mm -hmm. I had confidence in the music, but um, not necessarily confidence in the meeting room, so I wouldn't speak much. Mm -hmm. I was also directed and told not to speak much. However, I started noticing that at the end of the day, I had the final say. So if I had the <laughs> final say, I started trying to work my way into getting the first say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, versus it kind of going all the way through and it me seeming like it's not that, but... At the end of the day, that's the only way that I can keep it in God's hands. That's the only way that I can keep the integrity of my anointing clear. Right. If I wasn't in a situation where I can control these things, people will continue to say, even in churches, Molly, mm -hmm. we want you to sing, but don't sing this song. Don't say this. Don't be this. Don't act like this. Once I started recognizing and seeing that that's what was going to happen early in gospel, I knew it was time to get out because there was no way to be what I was without the housekeepers of the places I was going to sing at protecting their people. Right. And they protect their people from me. Right. So I'm like, well, I just got to get out so I could go ahead and be everything that God said. And then you guys won't have to worry about 
what you're telling me not to do. And it worked out. And in spite of a world of people, a whole wave of creative people, mm-hmm. and it's caused me to not be able to stop even when the world stops. During the pandemic, I was visualizing myself as a Joseph. Like, okay, well, everybody may not be able to get the best of what they wanted or liked while everything was flowing, mm-hmm. but they could at least get this wheat. Mm-hmm. They could at least get something and, uh, and I have it stored up. So how can I bring it out? I already have an album out. How can I release the more and partner with other people and keep singing? And it worked. Well, you know, COVID shut down music, shut down our lives, shut down tour dates. Now we got new music. We got tour dates coming up. Tell us how 2021 is going to play itself out for my Oh, life. man. It's, it's so <laughs> packed and stacked. And a lot of my colleagues are excited because they're saying that this is what they wanted. But during the pandemic, I recognized that I did not want to make my money on the road primarily. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, when I was younger and all the stuff like that, and I get opportunities to sing and travel now because I really want to see my people and Mm -hmm. I love the stage. Mm -hmm. Um, However, as a sole, you know, commodity or a stream of income, I don't feel like it's the wave. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so many ways to make $1,000, $10,000 overnight if you can get the education and look versus waiting a whole month stressing your body and banging your body to gain $5,000, you know, here, $7,000 there. Um, Sitting down forced me to say, okay, this is God's way of taking everybody's strongest thing from them. Mm -hmm. So this is a year for us to adopt and adapt new hobbies. And I used it to create new streams of income just in case the ones that closed never came back. So now I created five and then the five I had came back. And I was 10 streams of income. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's a really crazy thing. And I wanted to make sure that the other five had nothing to do with music. So now when I sing, I primarily use the increase that I get from singing to tap into another entrepreneurial mind mm-hmm. to be able to buy stocks or invest in juices or milk or something that the stores are buying mm-hmm. so that I'm making money without being great. Absolutely. You get what I'm saying? Well, you know, I, I 100% because I I'm, I'm, I look at the, I went back and I, and I told my uh, stockbroker, I said, no, 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 don't put me in a fund. I said, I'm going to tell you what I want yes. to buy. I picked out 10 stocks that I said, these are the ones I want to buy. Well, you know, no, See, no, no. I would have loved to have been in that money you know, making you know, conversation. You, know, you, you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I said, I'm going to trust myself. And, you know, yes. and just, I said, I'm going to trust myself. And so, but I want to close in saying this about you is that, you know, we've seen everybody as we go back live and things event. We've seen an over a groundswell of people wanting to see live events. You know, people yeah. concerts selling out, two or three shows, comedy shows. I think this is going to be such a unique moment for you, Molly, because to be able. This is the anointing time, I think, for individuals like you to get out there, not only to deliver your music, but to hear people wanting to receive it. And I just think it's going to be a great year for you, man. And I, I respect so much what you've accomplished and in the past. You got my hands <laughs> up, sir. <laughs> you got my hands up. I receive it. I want to walk in it with uh, grace and um, heavenly anointing. I just don't want to take any credit for it because I can mess it up with human frustration, right. limitation, yeah. all this stuff like that. But I do feel like it's a blast of events. Yes. So I don't want to just keep saying it to everybody. This is the time for stories, plays, yes. Yes. short, <laughs> short stuff, yeah, conversations like on. this on stage. It's time for people to, I guess, feel 
what it feels like to be around people again. Yes. And, um, and if we're creative in making events that are new, then we could just continue to that's what I'm talking capitalize about. on this that's, swell. That's all I'm talking about, Marley, because, you know, because when you was talking about, you know, you know, you make 5000 I know we got that, but the basis of what we do in gospel is emotion. It's driven yes. by opportunity. It's driven by a blessing. And the fact yes. that you are about to step out into the world and be received again, and people are about to understand the value of the Holy Spirit, my man, yeah. my hands up, because... Wow. Palms out, hands up, pointing at you, baby. Pointing at you, Molly Music. Man, I feel <laughs> what you're saying is so right. I had a conversation with Jonathan McReynolds. We're getting ready to do a Victory Lab album. Uh-huh. Just something for us together since God brought us to victory. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, Molly, some people are looking for you to take the mic and just sing it. There Don't wait go. for nobody else. Don't do nothing else. We're looking to you. And it was really special for him to give me that moment. Uh, because sometimes as a leader... Or, uh, you know, somebody in authority position, you might not take the full power of the dominion that God gives for the sake of caring. But sometimes he just needs you mm-hmm. to do like Christ, mm-hmm. handle the work, and let everybody be blessed. That's all, man. That's all I got to say to you, young brother, because I'm glad you took the time to talk to me. Because I'm man, following you as I always follow you and uh, feel blessed that I know you. Thank you for coming on this Money is Conversation. This awesome opportunity you. again. I'm just as blessed as the first time. <laughs> I pray the people are. And man, um, I'm going to be looking to check back on you, man. I feel something on you this year, too. (laughs) Thank you, sir. We will be right back with more money-making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. It's finally here, the season of celebration. And no matter how you celebrate with family and friends, whether you're preparing for Reyes Magos or Karamu, lighting the menorah, or going to Midnight Mass, Kohl's has just what you need to make those traditions special. Plus, you'll find gifts for all your loved ones. Send warm wishes with cozy fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. Or treat them to everyone's favorite activewear from top brands like Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide committed to the health and well-being of our communities. No matter how you celebrate, when you shop at Kohl's, you're right where you belong. So this season, give with all your heart with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk Walk a mile mile in my shoes. shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. 
You are now tuned into the Money-Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Despite being known for loud, bombastic comments and his trademark propensity to debate, a much softer side of Stephen A. Smith is revealed when discussing the inspiration for his success. The final product is for the fans. I'm about the work, the process, the grind, the day in and day out, Mm -hmm. meticulous, tedious work that you have to put in to perfect your craft. And the reason why that resonated with me so profoundly, Rashawn, is because that's what I attach to all my work. Everybody right now is celebrating Stephen A's world coming on ESPN Plus, or they're talking about my sports and it was Stephen A Smith, the NBA show, or they're with first take. All I think about is going day to day and making sure that I do everything that I can to deliver to the audience what their expectations are of me and to exceed those expectations. If you want to hear this full interview with Stephen A Smith, visit MoneyMakingConversation.com. Keep winning. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Tressa Azareel Smallwood. She's an award-winning book publisher and movie producer. Tressa is the CEO of Life Changing Books, LCB, and co-founder of Megamind Media, LLC. In 2003, after writing her first novel, her very first novel, Tressa, wow, resigned from her teaching tenure in the Maryland Schools District to fulfill her dream of becoming an entrepreneur. Since then, LCB has published over 162 titles in print and digitally, becoming one of the leading independent publishing companies striving in the literary industry today. Since launching Megamind Media, Tressa has produced several award-winning movies, which have been adapted to uh, to film and tel- TV series for networks such as Viacom, BET Networks, TV One, BET Her, Urban Movie Channel, and more. With such a large volume of content, Tressa has positioned Megamind Media to become one of the fastest growing film production companies from book to film adaptations in America. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations. I'm going to call her my good friend because, you know, I saw her movie last year. She didn't even know I saw her movie, All In. You know what I'm saying? With a little mama and uh, at least Neil. Tressa, Azarel, Smallwood. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I know about you. I know about you before you knew about me. <laughs> oh, that's so dope. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as I shared earlier, there's no better place to be on a Monday, money-making Monday, talking about money-making conversations with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You know, when I, it was really interesting because uh, my staff, when they always bring names up to me about people who be interesting guests, because what I try to do, I try to get the guests to tell their story, their journey, because yeah. we all want to be a version of you. I would tell people, don't be Rashawn McDonald. Be a version of yourself, a better version yeah. of me, because you because you got to learn from your mistakes and you got to understand why you're successful. Trying to implement, yeah. or trying to trying to duplicate me or, or be a, a version yeah. of me can't work. So, I in your intro, it says after your first novel. Okay, okay. Now I've asked this question: Was it a hit selling novel, or just hey, Rashawn, I got it out there. I decided to exit. Yeah, so you know what? It was it was a an unexpected hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually teaching a year prior to that. Never had any thoughts about writing a novel or going into the book publishing industry. Um, but obviously that was my fate because I was pregnant and three months in, I was on recess duty, having all of these issues with pregnancy and ended up going to the doctor thinking that something was wrong. Uh, something was wrong, but it wasn't detrimental. They said, hey, right now, you got to go on bed rest at this very moment for the next six months until you deliver. Mm. So that was life changing for me. I went on bed rest at that very moment 
And one of my family members came over and I kept saying, what am I going to do? Six months. I got this little bell here ringing it so my <laughs> husband could bring me some food. I was like, this is not going to work. I'm, I'm too ambitious for this. And she said, you should write a book. That was the start. I literally started listening to some stories um, of some things that were happening at her job. And that was the inspiration to pen my very first novel, A Life to Remember. Um, by the time that my daughter was born, um, her name is Bailey. She's 19 years old now. So that tells you how long ago that was. Mm -hmm. um, and so I published that book after all of the naysayers kept saying, don't publish it on your own. Uh, don't self-publish it is not the way to go. I didn't listen. I said, I'm going to learn to do it myself mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it well. Mm -hmm. And I did that. Mm -hmm. um, I published the book in my first two months. I was able to make $40,000 and sold 5,000 copies independently self-publishing. And so it was a huge success. I never went back to work. And I started building my book, my book empire from there, life-changing books. Now, is, is your is your book empire tied strictly to your talent? Or are you bringing outside writers? Or are you out there nurturing other talents under your mega mind uh, yeah. shingle? So definitely, I started nurturing other talent um, instantly. You know, when you're when you're good at something, other people, like you said, they want to emulate that. They want to duplicate it. And so, because of my teaching. Um, spirit. I said, let me teach others to do what I do. Um, and so by 2005, which was, you know, four years after that happened for me, I had already had about 30 authors under my label, life-changing books. Mm -hmm. And although they were writing books, I was still writing myself. Um, to date, I've written seven books myself and all of the others are written by outside authors who came to me and wanted to be a part of my team. And your team consists of, because now we're just talking about you. Only, I'm only interviewing you. Okay, when I hear yeah. 162 books digitally in the hardback or a paperback. Yeah, me. All me. Oh, you, you, you're telling me you're a one-woman operation. Well, well, let me say this. Obviously, as you grow, you're yes, able to bring in people who do things better than you. So, for example, I'm not an, a book editor. I go mm -hmm. and hire editors to edit mm -hmm. the books. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, you know, a big marketing firm, but I know how to go and hire the marketing firm to make that happen. So, you know, it's been really, really successful for me, which has really put me in position because of all the content that I own. Right. It put me in position to transition into the movie industry with a company that I created in 2014 called Megamind Media. Okay, cool. I, I love this story. We're talking about a person who, I have to say that, okay, you became a writer now, but you were the, it was an educator, you know, high yeah. school level, elementary school level. So what made this transition, other than the fact that you was in bed for six months, you know, bed rest through your daughter who's 19 years of age right now, what really clicked in your head to say this is a possibility? Well, I feel like I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit in me. Um, growing up, I watched my grandfather literally have six and seven different jobs. And I didn't understand it back then. We just kept saying, well, what is he doing now? Why is he going here? What is this all about? And he taught me as I was growing up. So it was just something that was just in me that by the time I graduated from college, I knew, okay, my family said I need a college degree. But let me tell you this. I know that I want to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't know what type of entrepreneur, what industry it was at the moment. And then once I started teaching, I fell in love with helping others. That was big for me. Uh, and so I, I do believe that outside of being on bed rest and given that opportunity, 
I would have gone into entrepreneurship at some point anyway, just because it was always in me. But that was the moment where I said, this is it. This book is successful. It's all about writing and creating content, which is my thing. I love it. I I can create for days. And so that was my moment. And I just took advantage of it. And I, I think a lot of times people get their opportunities but they don't execute on it. They say, I want to do something, but they don't push forward. And that was something that I was always really waiting for that moment to figure out what it was. What was my passion? What was my gift? I 100% agree I'm, with that. I, I agree it. with that. I, you know, I look at my life and a lot of people say, Rashawn, you, you, you do a lot of things. Well, first of all, I do what I enjoy doing. Let's go and be real. You know what I'm saying? I remember when you was finding your dreams, uh, Steve Harvey and I was in L.A. 2000 on the local radio station, named 2.3 to be, defining our dream. Started making decisions in our life that some people, because a lot of people was wondering why was he doing local radio when, you know, Bernie was doing the movies, Cedric was having those Super Bowl commercials. And so you have to define your path and stick with your path and then see if you have, if you have a plan. And so I have to believe that when you made the decision to walk away, I know $40,000 in two months is a lot. That's that's nice. You know, you start adding that up over a year's period. You know, you, you've elevated to tax bracket. But right, still, right. that had to be a plan. What was the plan tied to you leaving your, your, your educational background? Because you wanted to be a school teacher. You went to school to be a school teacher. Yeah. You, were, you were teaching and changing and shaping young minds. But then at one point you'll say, it's about me and what I want to do too and how I can change minds this way too as well, correct? Correct, correct. I think the defining moment for me came with um, my husband saying, yes, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, everybody around me said, now, wait a minute, you just went to school to get a master's in education, (laughs) just finished. Why are you now leaving this industry? And why are you taking this chance? Um, I remember family members saying, you got summers off. And I said, no, I'm going to have the rest of my life off Mm -hmm. in a minute. I'm going to really go and do this. But my husband was the one who said, I got you. Let's do it. Um, He did ask me about my strategy. You know, how are you going to do this? Are you personally going to be the one writing the books constantly? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, um, I'm going to duplicate my success. Mm -hmm. I'm going to build a publishing house just the same way you see other big publishers out here have been doing. And it's going to be a learning process. So I would say in my very first two years, I made so many mistakes. Uh, just, you know, just a lot of mistakes, but I learned from them and I started gaining mentors. And I said, I want to find the people who are shaping these bigger companies, bigger publishing houses right. that let them show me what to do. And by the time I got a couple of contracts with like Borders Books back then and Walden Books, those were big entities that were interested in helping um female entrepreneurs at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the time I got those contracts and being able to walk into those bookstores and seeing my name on the books, on the in the, in the front window and on the shelves, I was like, oh, I got this now. Right. And so I knew at that point that the strategy worked. But but my husband was the, the key to that with saying, I, you know, I'm going to support you in this. Cool. I'm talking to Tressa Azareel, Smallwood, uh, the creator of uh, life-changing books as well as uh, Megamind Media. And when I, when I, when I, when I listen to you talk, you know, there's always, uh, I won't say the word disconnect because it's almost like how, you know, you know, how does this happen? Because, you know, you have Amazon out there, you have 
borders. They got they got marketing machines. You know, they got advertising dollars. You know, they you know you 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 can say their name. You know, Mega Mind doesn't pop into your mind unless you think it's some some animated movie or something like some superhero or some villain or something like that. That's when you think of Mega Mind. But how did you believe in yourself so much? You say, you know, some I. I, I can do this for other people, not only myself, but I can do it. Other. Help me slide into that lane of understanding because of the fact that at the beginning of my show, I always tell people to lead with their gifts and don't let your age, friends, or family and coworkers. Hey. And that's what you was was happening in your life. Coworkers and friends and family say, but but you 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 went to school for this. I went to school to be a my degree is in mathematics and sociology. Okay. Whoa, I love it. Okay, so you you you're talking to the right person when you're saying that degree is something I I love. I brag about it. I put it on my wall. I tell people proudly I have a degree in mathematics, but that doesn't define who I am or what I can be. Now you're doing the same thing. You went against the grain because even though you're not Simon and Sue Schuster, even though you're not Amazon, even though you're not Harper Collins, what made you believe that Tresha as a real Smallwood could do this. Yeah, well, well, one, faith plays a big part of my life. Um, I am always uh, in prayer. Um, obviously, we know that you have to do more than just pray. You got to actually do some work. They're, they're um, right. But that's, yeah, that's, that's really big for me. And so, you know, I feel like if you map out a strategy, if you really believe in yourself enough, and so people love to say, I, I believe in myself, but right. do you really believe in yourself? Right. When things when things start failing, when you are not succeeding, do you give up or do you hang in there? Again, I really always take it back to my childhood. I've watched my grandfather fail, but I watched him still get up and go to the event or to the gig or whatever was happening. Um, and we did a lot of you know talking about how do we turn this around? How do we stay in the game? How do we make it work? So I think from me learning that at an early age and then growing up myself and, and saying, hey, I want to do this. You know, walking away from your job doesn't mean you get the opportunity to go back to it. It doesn't mean you get the opportunity to backtrack at this point. Once I made that commitment to go for it, mm -hmm. I was in it. Even when even the years that weren't as great, I was yeah. in it. Even when re the rejection came, I was in it. And I took and I stayed in it. Even when I started Mega My Media, my first movie almost took me all the way out. I was like, Lord, why? Why did I get into this business? <laughs> what is going on here? But I knew I wasn't going to quit. I knew I was going to keep going. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's something where you have to tell yourself, I got this, despite the setbacks, despite the challenges. But you also have to be real with yourself and know that those things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. I think when people try to fool themselves saying, oh, you know, on social media, this person's doing this and this, you know, you'll see me on the red carpet all the time. But you you have no idea what I went through to get there. Right. right. You know, so I, I just I, I think people need to understand don't just say you believe in yourself. You really got to believe in yourself enough to push through it all. Hey, Tressa, you know, it's really great when I'm listening to your motivation. And, you know, like I said, in 2020, when I saw your movie All In that you executive produced and you wrote, starring Elise Neal, as well as Lil Mama, the rapper, um, I was, 
first of all, you got to have talent on the screen to, to really make the words and the and the plot have any substance. Okay, you, you know, you can you can have all you can have a great book if it's not directed correctly or written correctly, then the translation is nothing. And little mama, if you don't know about her skill set, please join the club. She's very talented. Of course, Elise Neal is you know her role is the played her mama in the movie, and and little mama had three kids. She was just dragging around all over the town and trying to just find her place in life. Are, are your movies female centric or, or female focused movies? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Most of them are. Uh, female focus, but also what's very unique about the movie that you're speaking of, All In, you know, as an African-American screenwriter, mm -hmm. you have the ability to change the narrative, right? So at Megamind, any movie that you see from me, it is going to show African-Americans in a good light, bottom line. So in the movie, All In, <laughs> Lil Mama didn't start off in a good light, right? She oh, was struggling no. in oh, the no. beginning. But by the time you got to the end, what was happening? She was an entrepreneur. She opened up her shop. Yes, she did. And all was well, right? Yes. So that was me. I had I had the 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 uh, decision making opportunity as to how I was going to end that film. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that the more content creators that we get out there who have that same mission, where like, how are we going to look on screen? You know. And so I, I wrote another movie um, that was based off of a book from life-changing books called The Available Wife. Um, this movie is actually airing on BET this month. But at, when you watch how these African-American females look, mm -hmm. you're going to say to yourself, oh my goodness, like who <laughs> did this? Who did this? The moment that you see them, mm -hmm. they have nice, nice careers, mm -hmm. um, entrepreneurs everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, they look good. They, they are everything that they do is going to put you on another level. So we don't have to always put ourselves in movies where we are the underdog. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't have to happen. But it starts with who has the pen, mm -hmm. who's, do, who's doing the mm -hmm. writing and who's making the decisions. We know here's the interesting <laughs> thing about it, because we all talk about budgets. OK, and that that, you know, who, you know, because. You're getting some amazing talent, and I know your budgets aren't. You know, we're not talking about Will Packer budgets and some of his right, movies, right. but even his movies are are the most profitable movies in a, in a, in a Hollywood history. Is Will Packer movies? So, Absolutely. So when you when you start looking at new talent or veteran talent, bringing them to your project, how do you handle the casting? Yeah, so we typically connect with the agents that have either seen our product or know someone who knows us, right? Because it's, it's mm -hmm. all always about who you know. In the very beginning, when I produced my very first movie, nobody knew who we were. So it was very right. difficult to get, <laughs> get talent. But mm -hmm. once they saw Secrets, uh, Centers Wanted, some of the movies that I did first, they then said, oh, this is, this is a great you know, uh, a great company to go and work for. I know they're going to be treated well. Mm -hmm. I know they're going to look good on screen. Mm -hmm. And so from there, it has become very easy. So now, for example, I'm casting for a, a new movie as we speak. You know, when when we're being introduced to certain agents, we're just really sending over our reel and saying, hey, here's a new movie that we're doing. Here's the script. And and it's it's much easier now. Um, and our budgets, like you said, we don't have the mega budgets. But at our budget level, talent knows that, oh, we're going to be seen in a good light. And mm -hmm. this is something I want to be a part of. Absolutely. Because uh, now, do, would, you, would you consider your movies independent productions or how how is that featured? Yeah, we're, we're, we're considered independent filmmakers. 
Okay, cool. Yeah. Now that's that's the beauty of your industry because of the fact that now when I when I I have to reference All In because that's a movie I saw and I fell in love with your talent. I fell in love with the concept and it was a feel good story and it goes back to me. That's why I relate to you a lot because I wrote sitcoms, Sister Sister, you know Jamie Foxx, The Parkers, and it was all about you know heavy set women feeling good about themselves. That was The Parkers. Jamie Foxx was an entrepreneurial young man finding themselves. And we, when I went to the series in the last two years, we took him out of the hotel and made him a, made him a, a business, put him in the professional business world. And then Sister Sister, that was two twin teenagers coming of age because we took them from high school to college. And I always feel good about that. Now my whole brand, if you look at what we did with Steve Harvey, it was always about uplifting black people. Same thing I'm doing with Stephen A. Smith. So it's about the positive image that you create that we are now getting. Now, you know when you started way back in the early 2000s, you know, wasn't nobody out there wanting black content. Nobody wasn't looking for they us. What about when feeling sure us? It. You know, and then you battling with TV One, you battling with Oprah Network, you battling with BET just to try to get a little little meeting with your stuff. How has the reaction <laughs> been to your brand now that suddenly people want black content? We got the Netflix out there, the Amazon, the Hulu's, Onyx, a new network coming out of this tied to the whole Hulu relationship. What is happening with your brand, girl? You got to be feeling good about yourself. You, your faith <laughs> is paying off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hard work pays off, I'm telling you. And so when I think about it, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I always tell people it's a part of staying through it all, like yes. staying the course. Mm -hmm. When when I first did Secrets in 2016, uh, we took it to ABFF. Very first time doing any of this. I remember mm -hmm. being in the movie theater for the screening and actually looking around going, wait a minute, this is real. This is really real now. People mm -hmm. are in here watching this movie. Mm -hmm. And so God bless me big time because <laughs> right after the screening, I, I met someone from BET and they said, hey, you need to meet such and such. They're going to call you next week. And that happened. Um, got a call from BET the very next week and said, hey, we want to license this movie. So staying the course, staying committed. I didn't I didn't even know that that was going to happen to me. I, I honestly was going there saying, I'm going to take a chance on myself. I'm going to market this film like crazy, see who shows up at my screening. And if nothing happens, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get it on somebody's network. But it happened very quickly. And from there, the train has not stopped moving. Well, that's a good train. Now, that, now you have some project coming out on, up on BT Her. Tell us about the tell us about the um, the process at Megamind of uh, of taking these books and adapting them for film. You know, we all know you're the brainchild. You know, you are the Megamind. Talk to us about that, Tressa. Yes, yes. So, so obviously, with Megamind, our primary goal is to take the books that are in the book catalog from mm -hmm. Life Changing Books and mm -hmm. adapt those into the movies. Mm -hmm. So that's the primary goal. Mm -hmm. However, along the way, when people see that you can produce, um, that you're putting out good content, of course, they're going to tap into you to do projects with them as well. Mm -hmm. So the partnership with BET Her um, with these health initiatives came with um, one of the executives over there, Larissa Bates. Um, she was looking for someone to um, partner with them on the health initiative. So they have a series called The Waiting Room, The Couch, and now The Hotline. All of these series um, are projects that highlight health issues or some type of, of issue that African-American women face. So for example, The Couch touches on mental health. 
Um, the waiting room touches on breast cancer awareness. And now the hotline touches on domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And so this is a series that, um, you know, obviously, you know, BT, her feels really strongly about. And I am actually the producer for, for that series. And so we bring in celebrity directors. We've had Vivica Fox, Mona Scott Young, Victoria Raul, Vanessa Bell Calloway. Uh, the list goes on. But they basically come in, they take us a, 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 a episode and they direct that episode. And the reason why we tapped into uh, celebrities to mm -hmm. do this is because we know when they speak, people listen. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. When you have a Cheryl Lee Ralph talking to you about why you should go and get a mammogram early mm -hmm. um, and why she decided to direct a an episode about breast cancer awareness. Um, so these these short films episodes are very, very powerful. Um, we have a set of them coming out in July for The Couch, which are the mental health um, series. Now, Tressa, on the Vivica A. Fox uh, movie that she directed, was that shot in D.C. area? Yes, we shoot all of our movies okay. in D.C. It was so oh. funny because I would just tell you a little funny story because uh, the, the, one of the locations that she chose was a very good friend of mine that you guys use, Laura Foods. It was her. Oh, oh, I love her. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, so I'm on the phone talking to Laura, and then she walks in. She goes, "Vivica Fox is in my office directing." It is so funny that you saying that because I know exactly the project that you were talking about. That was recently shot, by the way. It was shot this year. Yeah, and we actually shot two series at uh, Laura's um, facility. We did one <laughs> with Yandy Smith. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mona Scott Young, her film was shot there as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, obviously, I know Laura just because she's amazing when it comes to money. <laughs> yes, and and, um, and she talked about you to me before, Rashawn, but I actually did not make the connection until now. Well, good because so now you know because of the fact that the, uh, it was so funny. I said, I got to ask her, what did, did Vivica shoot that in DC? Yes. Because it was recently done. But when I look at these projects and I look at you evolving as a brand, you are a brand. Now. Now, Tressa, you know, you may have went out on faith. You may have, you know, God told you you need to sit in the bed for six months and get your little <laughs> ring, ring bell, and you wrote a book. Yeah. But you are a brand. What responsibility comes with you being a brand, Tressa, as a real small wood? Yeah, I think for me, um, the responsibility that I take is, number one, I, I said before, I get to control the narrative, right? right. Because mm -hmm. we are, we have a lot of eyeballs on us now. So mm -hmm. even if I wanted to act crazy, I can't, mm -hmm. right? Because there are too many people watching me. Mm -hmm. um, I take the fact that although I don't teach in the classroom, I'm still an educator. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of young people watching me, following me, wanting to duplicate my success. And so I, I don't take that lightly. Um, so responsibility for me is that I, I watch what I do. I make sure that I am pulling other people up and showing them what to do. Um, and I am encouraging people all the time to go for it, um, but go for it with a plan. Right, right. And then the plan is that, you know, it can't have to be just faith. It has to have a plan tied to it. I always tell people, you can go out on faith, but somewhere along the line, you better have some reason or budget tied right. to that that that, that faith. Right. And when, right. I, when I when I look at what you're doing, what you I got to ask this question because we said you know your your books are female centric, because uh, yeah. people come to me all the time. I you know I can't get everybody at Simon Schuster or Harper Collins or some of the major labels out there. Do do you how do you how do you uh, I guess screen people who want to bring novels or memoirs to your to your uh, your book label LCB? 
Yeah, we have a screening process. So pretty much we send all traffic to um, TrestaAzarel.com. And from there, people who want to go to casting, they can figure it out, you know, once they get to the site, if they want to, you know, submit a project. It's an easy way for me to streamline everything, all questions straight to that site. Because, Mm -hmm. of course, if I'm doing radio interviews and all these different things, I can't always try to figure out how to help somebody answer each individual question. So we send everybody right there and they can get all the answers that they need in terms of, um, you know, us looking at projects, whether it's a screenplay, it's a novel or whatever it is. Okay, cool. So, so if someone, because I'm, I'm gonna send some people your way now, because I, okay, I have thank no, you, I'm, tell, I'm just telling you right now, Trust, I have no clue as to what to do, because I'm not familiar with, because Amazon takes a lot of your money, to my understanding. You know, when you do yeah. self publishing, and so when you talk about self publishing, are you going through Amazon? Who, how, how does your self publishing system work for you? Yeah, we still utilize Amazon. It's obviously not the only outlet that mm-hmm. we have, um, mm-hmm. but. You know, we use Baker and Taylor. We use Ingram. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon is just easy for everyone. You Absolutely. know, no, whether I think I'm always in this love hate relationship with Amazon, right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's easy access. And because America loves Amazon, they go there for my films. They mm-hmm. go there to, to buy my books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, we get a chance to disseminate the information when they come to TressaAzarel.com. So it's just well, the easy way. Well, I, I love it. First of all, let's not just say America, but the world loves Amazon. So, oh, my goodness. So when oh, you post, uh, you, uh, you know, they can be buying your books in Africa, in the Caribbean, yeah. in Spain, in Europe, in Russia. Because they're watching my movies over there, too, Rashawn. They, they, I get DMs all the time. Well, but that's what, that, that's what I'm saying is that you are a brand now. And it's, so, you know, I know I'm going to continue this conversation because, uh, you know, you're so enchanting. And from the standpoint of, uh, you know, uh, when I when I when I come across people like you who are naturally talented, you know, it's it's always a next level. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's the next level for you? That's why we have to talk more off the air because of the fact that I see gifts in you. I'm not saying you're satisfied. I'll never say that. But what are the next steps? Because you yeah. you you know you you know big dollar you should be some big dollar projects you know you you should be up yeah, there you know 25 million dollar budgets they they're on around the Netflix and all this stuff you should be doing those things and so Absolutely. and I'm, and I'm claiming coming. it I'm claiming it we're speaking it into existence I'm telling you I'm telling you I don't just talk like that just cuz you know you look good I'm talking about <laughs> because you are good okay so the, you, you know if you're ugly I still got to talk to you cuz you're good girl you're good all right so so in the future let's let's, let's stay in touch and I just yeah. want to share your story on money making conversation about how you made a decision as a elementary high school you had a master's degree in education and you decided you know something I'm gonna follow my dream and the naysayers was your friends your family your co-workers told you hey girl are you crazy same people told me when I was leaving IBM via stand-up comic they said you're not gonna be Eddie Murphy I never told you I wanted to be Eddie Murphy right. I never right. told you I wanted to be Richard Pryor you assuming something. I never. All I want to do is just be Rashawn McDonald. And guess what? That's it's worked right. out for me, and it's working out for you. And that's what yeah. money making conversations about. Letting people hear these stories of success to let them know if you follow your faith with a plan and a budget, you can win too. But know there's going to be some low roads. The low roads are going to let you know how to not fall back into the low roads. The that's high right. roads, when they come, let you know how, how what it takes to stay at the high road because that's of the right. fact that your success and and thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation, Tressa. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really, really love this conversation. And I'm glad and you f- uh, more. And I'm glad you was able to put two and two together with Laura Foods. Now you know. know. Michelle McDonald. She was always <laughs> talking to me about you. <laughs> That's my girl. But again, she's smart. Wow. She knows how to handle your money. And she's a hard worker. Again, come back on my show when we need to promote something else. And also just tell your story to my fans who are both audio as well as video for Money Making Conversations. Okay? Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day, okay? Awesome. We will be right back with more money-making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you their fearless guide to this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide to this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Lamont Rucker began his career on daytime soap operas, As the World Turned and All My Children. Lamont discovered when COVID 19 hit, it changed the game in television production. You know, everything now is being so condensed. One, because you're also trying to not only minimize costs, but minimize this exposure, these exposure risks mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. So you're literally working virtually every day for a month, one day off, right. every six, you know, seven days or something mm-hmm. like that. The hours are crazy. So you've got to take care of your body and be careful about being fatigued and make sure you're getting the proper rest and recovery and nutrition. Mm-hmm. We have COVID compliance officers on set. You know, again, we get tested um, on a regular basis. I think that people are doing the best they can because, again, they also don't want to get shut down. If you want to hear this full interview with Lamont Rucker, visit MoneymakingConversation.com. Keep winning. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is a guy I haven't seen in a long time. He's one of my favorite people, Al Harrington. He's a retired NBA star, is the CEO and founder of the premium cannabis company, Viola Incorporated. Inspired and named in honor of his grandmother, Viola Harrington. After seeing how cannabis helped Viola, who suffered from glaucoma and diabetes, Al's entrepreneurial endeavors began in 
during his MBA career when he strategically invested in startups across the cannabis industry. Then in 2011, Al brought Biola to the market after overseeing the carefully curated cultivation and extraction and production. This part of his mission is to say this entrepreneur opportunity is for everybody. He's there. He's a leader in the business. He's throughout this country. We're going to talk about the locations that he's grown his business, over 100 employees. Wow. Please welcome to the show, my man. He's an entrepreneur. Don't even, like you say, what you say, what, what, what LeBron say, more than an athlete? That's my man right here, <laughs> Al Harrington. How you doing, Al? How you doing Al, you know, I, I I had to bring that up, man, more than an athlete, man, because uh, I remember I was interviewing um, Chris Paul, and Chris Paul, guy, he was t- in the interview, he talked about the guy said, guy was caught off guard that he knew more than just about the game that he played. He said, man, we do we dribble, we do more than just dribble a basketball, man. We eat, we live, we have family, we do business deals. And that's a really... Sometimes you can get caught off by that. People just kind of like shortchange you because you are an athlete, correct? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got and it's to be expected, right? I mean, most people or fans or whatever, they only see us on Sports Center, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, we don't have too many outlets where we get a chance to, um, you know, show the other side of our life, right? The mm-hmm. things that we do in the community, the investments that we make, you know, so. Um, you know, it's important for like platforms like what you have here, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? To be able to highlight athletes and allow us to show the world that we are more than athletes and we're more than guys that just can dribble a basketball and, and make a and make a hoop. You know, the interesting thing about it is that, you know, when you're given that talent and I would say I would to be uh, uh, I have to slow it down when I say the word talent, because then everybody has a talent. But if you don't work on it and mature it, then guess what? It's just a talent. Let's talk about the process of once you realize you had the ability to play basketball and then people saw you having that ability to play basketball, how did you move forward in making it an opportunity that you can make money with it? Well, I mean, you know, for me, like, uh, my basketball talent came from nowhere almost, right? Uh, when I grew up, believe it or not, I was, uh, you know, I was always the biggest kid in class, but... I was the biggest kid in class. Right. You know, my real name is Albert, so I used to be Fat Albert growing up. So <laughs> I used to get bullied a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. about my size and my weight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, uh, the way I could take out my frustration was on a football field. Mm-hmm. So I played football up until I was a freshman in high school, and that's when I had a growth spurt. So I went from, you know, 5'10 to 6'4", and, you know, played on the freshman team, wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for some reason, you know, my AAU coach, a guy named Sammy Payone and then Jay Syriac, they saw talent in me somehow. And, you know, they started to invite me to workouts and different things like that. And, you know, over time I fell in love with the game and, you know, going into my junior years when I made a commitment that, you know, I wanted to be a ranked athlete, you know, Mm -hmm. I was, wasn't ranked, but I saw a lot of the guys that was in the top 100 and top 10. And I just felt like they wasn't that much better than me. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just that they just have been playing longer. So I just really dedicated myself to the gym and just got really good, man. And over a two year span, I went from an unranked, you know, uh, you know, player to the number one player in the country. Right. So, right. you know, once I got to that point, you know, all the number one players in the country were going to the league. So mm-hmm. I was just like, shoot, if I can get <laughs> to the point I'm the number one player, I'm going to go pro too. And pretty much that's how I made my decision. I was just like, I'm the number one player. Everybody else is going pro. I'm going to go pro too. And that's but how the, I was able to monetize my talent. But, but the key, key to you was when you got to the NBA, you had, you had mentors. You know, because that's where a lot of players like you that are young don't have a real professional 
athlete pull you aside. Talk about that experience and the importance of mentorship for a young man who's suddenly an illegal adult. You know, all the responsibility of being an adult is placed on you and you have money. Yeah, it's it's uh you know it's it's eye-opening, you know, when you go from literally like nothing to now having a million dollars in the bank, mm-hmm. it's just like you can't fathom it. And you know, for me, where I was just really lucky was that I got on a you know a Indiana Pacers squad mm-hmm. that had just lost in, you know, seven games to Michael Jordan's Bulls. So they bought back a a fully veteran team. Mm -hmm. So I had guys on my team that just taught me everything. They taught me how to be a professional, which is the most important thing, right? I always say the foundation that they laid with me is the reason why I was able to play for 16 years. And, you know, to your point, a lot of the younger guys that do get drafted, you know, uh, in the first, the top 10, they usually go to teams that aren't really good, right? And usually Mm -hmm. they're not really good because there's poor leadership, the team is extremely young mm-hmm. and they just have nobody to, you know, kind of give them direction or whatever. So I always say, like, as much as I had wanted to be a top 15 pick or whatever, and I look at the teams that I wanted to draft me, I think that God was definitely looking out for me by putting me on a pacer team that had guys like Reggie Miller, Mark Jackson, Chris mm-hmm. Mullen, Antonio Davis, who actually allowed me to live with him my freshman year. Yes. I tell this story, quick story. I had got, uh, you know, these books, I called them at the time in the mail, and I looked at them and it had like the year and date and my name on it and I didn't know what they were so I took them and put it in my closet and like two weeks later I come home from practice and Antonio has these same books and he's like signing them so I asked him what they were and he was like they're my taxes I was like boy I got those same books downstairs and he was like they get the book. <laughs> so I didn't even know how to pay taxes you know so it's like so I mean it was on the court and off the court you know the way that these guys you know uh, lead me and, you know, help set me up to, like I said, be able to play for 16 years. Well, you know, the beauty of you, Al Harrington, I'm looking to the background, but Al and I met at the Steve Harvey camp. And, man, it was hot. And we were just laughing. And we we, we would phone call each other periodically. Then we kind of, like, lost, uh, like, disconnected there. But the thing that I loved about this guy, man, was that, you know, you always think of people got to have a degree to do this. You have to get a, a certain graduate. And here you was, uh, like you said, you based your this life decision on everybody else was number one. They went pro. I'm going to go pro. But then while you was a pro, you had the smarts, the sense to learn how to be a professional and learn there is life after basketball. And that's what I'm talking about. You decided to start investing in your afterlife career while you were still playing. Why was that so important? Well, you know, I, I had a financial, so my, so, you know, quick story, uh, I got plenty of stories, but my, uh, I think it was my third year in the league. I was sitting in the locker room and I was sitting next to, um, Derek McKee and somehow we just started talking about investing and how much money, you know, had I saved at that point. And he was asking me questions that I, I didn't really know the answer of. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Because I was focused on playing. Right. I had had a back surgery. So I was just trying to get back and just focusing on the game and never like really looking at my finances. But when he asked me some questions, I didn't know the answer. He was like, well, I'm gonna give you some homework. Answer these questions for me. Right. And I went back and I looked at everything and I started asking questions. And what I realized was like I had like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars saved. Now, right. I had a couple of assets here and there. But for the most part, I was still broke. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is after I had probably already made about three million bucks. Mm-hmm. And that was very eye opening for me at that time. 
You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And it really like, you know, just made me look at everything differently. And, and Derek also introduced me to his financial advisor, which was an older gentleman out of Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And what I like about this gentleman was one, he really challenged me out the gate. You know, he was just like, you know, um, you know, any business opportunities that you want to do, um, I'll look at them for you. But, you know, you're going to have to present to me why this is a good deal. Right. And he start vetting deals on my own at a very young age. And it just started giving me more business sense and more business acumen and how to ask the right questions and not just fall for any opportunity that will actually come my way. You know, so I'll always give him a lot of credit for uh, those two gentlemen, because, you know, at you know, I think I was maybe 21, maybe mm-hmm. 22 years old mm-hmm. is when I started to have those kind of conversations. And it just really inspired me to just learn more every time, you know, a deal came across my plate and you know from an entrepreneur standpoint like I just you know I love business man it's like it's like the game you know what I'm saying and what I've learned about how I've translated what I've learned in sports to business is is all about team you know so anytime I look at a deal I'm looking at the team who's involved you know what I'm saying who's going to be executing who's going to set the pick who's going to be the three-point shooter who's going to you know what are the specialists that you have within your organization Mm -hmm. on why this is a good business opportunity and why this is going to win and you know ever since I've taken that approach man I you know I've been pretty successful you know I will definitely say every idea or everything that I invested in did not work but most did and then, you know, you look at this business that I'm in now in cannabis, you know, this is our 10 year anniversary. I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we raised, you know, just under $25 million, $6 million of that was my own money. So I have skin in the game mm-hmm. and I'm 10 years in and running a business that's cash flow positive, where I look at a lot of my counterparts that don't even look like me, one, that have, they already have all the advantages, raise right. hundreds, and mm-hmm. a lot of them are out of business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would just say that we've done a really good job and I think I've done a really good job at the way I approach business. And I'm just continue to learn, man. Cause like to your point, I came out of high school. I didn't go to college. I don't have no business degree. Mm-hmm. A lot of the decisions I've made is off of my gut, but you know, I've definitely learned how to look and, and do diligence on opportunities before I jump on them. I'm going to tell you something, Al, uh, if you made $3 million and you were able to save $350,000, you were pretty smart. To say it, I'm just telling you right, right there, you were not a dummy, okay? You might say you were broke, but that was a pretty smart move. So it means, means that you were listening along the way, which means that you understood that you need to put money to the side. You know what to do with the money. But the people who came into your life said, you got that, let's build that, and this is how you have to come to me so you won't be coming up with no nightclub pitch, no car wash pitch with no with no uh, amortization tied to the five-year plan. And so when you when you got into the cannabis business, you know, right now is 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 you know, I remember when I first read about cannabis business, I just didn't even understand it. I, I was like confused, you know, was it legal? Can you, can, how can you do, you know, the, the athletes, they couldn't mess with it. Now you hear that the NFL is relaxing their rules. The NBA is relaxing their rules. If they're, they're using the word medically and induced reasons as to why you can use cannabis, CBD. When did it start changing? Because you dropped in when it was just like a, you know, a lot of people say good deal, but I'm going to stay away and watch. Now people are wanting to invest into your brand. Yeah, well, I mean, to your point, when I jumped in, it was not popular. You know, now every entertainer, athlete, everybody's making investments and, you know, trying to endorse products. You know, when I did this, you know, I was I put my contract at risk. 
Um, I put my freedom at risk, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and we still do. I mean, it's still federally illegal. And I can be very honest with you now, 10 years later, when I first started, I was like you. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know what the <laughs> hell I was getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, all I knew was that I had seen it help my grandmother. Um with my grandmother's background being that, you know, she's a lady of, she's just a lady of the Lord. Uh, I tell people all the time, my grandmother not going to heaven. We all going to hell for sure. We ain't got a chance. <laughs> Open-minded enough to try cannabis and it work. And, you mm-hmm. know, for her, when she tried it, the first thing she did was go downstairs and read a Bible and mm-hmm. told me, you know, the first time she read a, read a Bible in over three years. Mm-hmm. So that's what just really inspired me, like I said, to just learn more. And, you know, from that day, from when I made the first investment, getting our, you know, our, our building that we have in Colorado now 10 years and, uh, you know, being robbed, uh, being, you know, having the plants get sick in the, in the facility, mm-hmm. all these different obstacles that came my way. Um, I, had a, I had every reason in the world to quit. Right. right. And just be mm-hmm. like, you know what? This ain't for me. You know, I could be golfing right now. Right. 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 You know, mm-hmm. I have to save enough money that I could be doing something totally different with my life. But, you know, I just really value that I had an opportunity to change the perception of, of cannabis to the world right. by using my platform, speaking on it. And it went from that to trying to change the stigma to now my purpose is around the, uh, around the inclusion and diversity of the industry, right. you know, and how it infa- impacts the black community because they use cannabis to enslave us and to destroy our communities. Mm-hmm. Now, all these, you know, we own less than 4% of the industry. There's billions of dollars being made and there's still <laughs> all these barriers for black people to participate in something that was nothing wrong with it in the first place. Right. 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 So mm-hmm. that's why my focus is literally on trying to right the wrongs that happen to our people in our community. And, you know, I will say that uh, it's very hard, you know, because if you don't have the capital to be able to really go out and support these people, because this industry is so cash intensive, you know, there are a lot of challenges, but, you know, I feel like we've been able to, you know, use, you know, our, our platform in different ways where it doesn't always require us to have to put in money. You know, we could use just our influence, uh, some of our resources, just our knowledge, just giving people the right course to go down instead of going down the way that I already went down and that right. was not the right way, you know? So it's just really just trying to just trying to figure out what's the best way to have impact on our community. And, you know, that's what, that's, that's what is, is constantly motivating me every day to continue to grow this business. You know, somebody, you know, you got over a hundred employees, you know, you have, you know, franchises in uh, California, Colorado, Michigan, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Washington. And I'm going to tell you, I was watching HBO when early stages of this cannabis and they, and they were showing this, this, this white guy, he had security all around him. Okay. And he had to go to a, a, a warehouse and he had to have cash. And, and they were saying something like, you know, you can't deposit this money in the bank. It was like, I was like, okay, that means like, you, everything's a cash transaction. You couldn't deposit the money in the bank. That scared me. I went, hold up. I got to worry about my wife. I got to worry about my daughter. Somebody going to kidnap somebody. How did you How did you manage, man, to, like, uh, survive you, you, with all these barriers? You can't put the money in the bank. It's cash-induced. You know, you, you got to have security around you all the time. And I was like, I, I was blown away, man. They, they, they ran me out the back door. I went, no way, no way. Because people were coming at me, Al. They were coming at me. Rashad, you're smart, dude. You can make a lot of money. I saw that HBO special. I went, hell no. Uh-uh. No way. No way. 
No, it, no, it has its challenges, man. So, you know, when I came in, um, <laughs> banking definitely was tough. I started off in Colorado. So Colorado had some form of regulation and different things like that. Uh, when we first started, we definitely did have a bunch of cash, but that was only for maybe like the first year to 18 right. months. Mm-hmm. But then after that, credit unions started to take banking and they got filthy rich. You know, I will say like it was $3,500 for us to have just a hole in account with the bank monthly. It was a monthly fee of $3,500. And then we would have to pay 2 to 3% on every deposit over $10,000. You can't. Hold on, right? hold on, hold on. Wow. You said, wait, 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 wait a minute, brother. You said they charge you $3,500 a month for their account. Yes. Did two percent of the account? Wow. Ten thousand dollars. Wow. So yeah, the, yeah. So the bank. So if you was willing to take the chance with banking, you got rich. Wow. <laughs> That's what you've been calling me, Rashad. Do do start up Black Bank. Something. I've, I've been saying that for a while. I just it's only so much time in the day for me. You know right. what I'm saying? I still think that the banking is a huge need and opportunity in the space, and especially as more Black people, especially social equity, continues to be more relevant in the space. Mm-hmm. I think that Black people would love to bank with somebody that looks like them and, and someone that can understand them and their needs. You know what I'm saying? So there's definitely an opportunity there. So we can talk about that offline for sure. I'm going to tell you something, Al. You know, man, talking to you, man, MBA, doctor, dude, you are so well-honed, so articulate, so smart in this whole entrepreneurial space. Do you realize who you are? Do you realize how you communicate, man? That's what, when I met you, I went, this brother's sharp, man. But sometimes, you know, you're just one of those natural guys that don't appreciate, sometimes I don't even respect the knowledge that you pour into people. And talk about that, man. It's tough because, because, like, obviously I'm living everything in in real time, right? Mm And obviously, I'm constantly working every day and I'm right. building every day. So you don't really get a chance to sit back and kind of just realize, you know, what you have been able to build and what you've been able to to, to actually create for others. But, you know, my, my biggest thing is, like, I really feel like this is a legacy opportunity for myself mm-hmm. and, this, and everybody that's involved with it. And, you know, that's what I continue to sell to my employees is, like, you know, this what we're doing is not only for us, it's for it's for other people to at some point be able to, you know, benefit from as well. And, you know, I think that when you set up a business where it's about serving the people, I think right. that the reward that comes back, you can't put a number on it. Right. So I've never been the guy to say, I want to create a billion dollar company. Right. You know, let's just see where the chips fall, where they may. But I just feel like if we continue to serve people, continue to help people, um, continue to be consistent with within the brand and the, the products that we produce, I think sky's the limit for us. Man, I'm tell you something, man. Uh, I was impressed when I first met you, man. You are just, you just, you just don't understand your abilities right now. You are a walking, talking poster for black opportunity, uh, athlete transition to normal life, entrepreneurship, uh, planning. And I just want you to like, say, you on my show here, Money Making Conversation, I need you on CNBC. I need you on CNN. I need you on everything, MSNBC. Because, man, your game and your conversation, I need you on the cover of Black Enterprise, okay? Right. That's how smart you are talking because you're, mis- you're mixing community and opportunity. Right. And that's what doesn't get spoken a lot in the community. And everybody wants to hear that. Then your backstory of how you started was based on your grandmother. Mm-hmm. 
So when you start mixing all that together, because, Al, I've been trying to get you about, about, about a year and a half on my show. Now I'm mad at you because you need to be on more than my show. You, my brother, need to be on more than my show. You're special, man. I said that back then, and hearing how you've developed as a man, as a business person, your story needs to be told more than just on this show. It needs to be across the board because you're employing people. Then you, you're telling me, Rashawn, I'm trying to get more people into the game, but also I'm trying to break it down the numbers of where it was. At one time, they was, they was putting us in jail for this same thing and putting three and 10-year sentences on us. Now the white people selling it, and they're not going to jail. But then they won't let us buy it to sell it. Right. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, we could, we could go on and on about that. You know, it, it's, it's really screwed up. And, you know, I, what I always say when I talk to people, and especially when I talk to, like, you know, black business leaders in these communities that don't want cannabis, and I just tell them all the time, like, you got to really take another step back and look at this because it's happening, and this is generational wealth at risk for yes. our community. Yes. You know, I really feel that this cannabis plant will be, a, you know, a hundreds, a couple hundreds of billion dollars a year industry. Mm-hmm. And if we can have a seat at the table and carve out our piece, I feel like we can take something that destroyed our community to actually rebuild it. You know, there's so many different ways of, you know, uh, participating in the space from, you know, hemp, industrial hemp. You know how many people reach out to me saying that they family own land in all these different parts of the country. And I'm like, yeah, let's start producing hemp on there because I I envision at some point um, building communities made out of hemp hemp homes and different Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm There's so many different ways that this plant can impact our community. It just hasn't been unlocked yet because it's been illegal. And then also people from our community have some form of PTSD of just seeing so many people being locked up and lives ruined that they just can't wrap their head around like this is now an opportunity where we can create real wealth. Right. You know? Right. So that's what I just continue to speak on and just, you know, continue to let people know and spread the good news because, you know, cannabis is the most dynamic plant in the world. And as we continue to unlock all the things that it does, you know, we're going to really be sitting 20 years from now thinking about how dumb it was that, you know, cannabis wasn't, you know, uh, a primary source of wellness a very long time ago. Now, here's a, here's a thought as, as we close up because of the fact that when I talk to you, what exactly does your company do? I want everybody to get a clear understanding. You, you know, you're in you're in California, Colorado, Michigan, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Washington. You have over 100 employees. What does your company do, Al? So we uh, we're, we're we're pretty much a vertically integrated uh, company. So we actually we cultivate, we manufacture, uh, we have some retail um, locations. Uh, so that's called like pretty much vertical integration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each state is a little different. So like in Colorado, we're vertically integrated. Michigan, we're vertically integrated. Uh, Oregon, we're vertically integrated. But, you know, California, uh, Oklahoma, Washington, those are places where we actually do white label agreements mm-hmm. or we actually provide those producers there our genetics to grow specifically for us. And then obviously we package it and we market it. So essentially, you know, Viola is a brand. Um, just think of it almost like a CPG. Al, if you don't stop, first of all, stop, Al. Vertically integrated, white label. How many people you know know what you're talking about, brother? Oh, oh, <laughs> I can't it's, believe it's Google. That's what I'm talking about. You're so into your game. When you start talking, you forget 
I'm talking to a lot of people. They may know, but I can swear you, 90% of the people don't know what white labeling is and definitely don't know what vertically integrated is. So you could you explain that, then white labeling, so we could just let everybody know the greatness of our heritage. So vertically integrated means that we control the supply chain, you know, from start to finish, almost from seed to sell. So that mm-hmm. means that we cultivate it, we manufacture it, whether we break it down into oils or concentrates, or we just make pre-rolls. That's that's considered manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Then we actually package it for distribution mm-hmm. to, to our end user, which is the dispensaries that we work with or our own uh, dispensaries. So that's what vertical integration is. And white labeling means that, you know, you have a brand that's really strong where you could do strategic partnerships with other uh, cultivators or manufacturers where they will uh, agree to produce product for you to put into your packaging Mm -hmm. so that you can now enter into that state in an asset light model, which I mean, when asset light model means that we don't have to come in and spend like most cultivation uh, costs anywhere from five to $10 million to build out a 500 to a thousand light facility. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want to go into that state and, you know, spend that CapEx, uh, you will find a partner that has lights and that respects your brand and will be able to cultivate for you so that you can actually enter that market without having to put up that upfront money. But the brand actually leads the way. My man, my man, <laughs> you are special. As an African-American, and I know you're trying to break walls, break down paths, how can you be an assistant in getting there. I know you're saying you're trying to normalize the process. Is it is it about just getting money? How do you, I just want to get licensed in this business? Do- yeah, so, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, like, you know, with the licensing situation, it's, it's very, it's unique, right? So mm-hmm. places on the West Coast, like, you know, uh, Oregon, California, it's relatively easy to get a license. Um, it's expensive, obviously, you know, because you have to, you know, submit applications, pay all these different fees and different things like that. And then once you actually win the license, now you need, you know, anywhere from, you know, two to $10 million to build out your facility, depending on the size of it. Mm-hmm. On the East Coast, that's where it's really, really competitive. Mm-hmm. And on the East Coast is where pretty much all the opportunity is because all those licenses are all limited. Right. Mm-hmm. So New York, there's only 10 vertically integrated licenses that they gave out. And when you think about how big the New York market is, you know that 10 licenses will never be enough. Right. They're going to have mm-hmm. to add probably another 100. Mm-hmm. But the way they set it up is these first 10 will be vertically integrated, like I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. which gives them an advantage. Mm-hmm. Right. When entering into the market uh, because they already have a, a market share and they already have somewhat of a foothold already. But that license process, the reason why those 10 operators aren't black is because, or none of black people couldn't even really afford to apply was because that whole application process was probably a five to $7 million right. package. Right. Right. And there was probably 50, 60 companies mm-hmm. that had put five <laughs> to $7 million in their package to apply and only 10 won. So when you think about that, like you could go and use all the resources you know, and you all put your five million dollars together right. and go win, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. It's so it's so the so the, the East is extremely expensive. And you know, even us, you know, I have another company called Village. 
uh, that me and my co-founder Viola, we started. And, you know, that company, we, we, we pretty much raised $5 million to start that company to go after licenses. And, you know, last year we was awarded a license in Maryland mm -hmm. where, you know, we beat out some of the big Coca-Cola, Anheuser-Busch uh, back companies. We were the number one ranked application in the state of Maryland. And then in Missouri, we won full vertical integration. We won, we was number one in cultivation, number one in retail, <laughs> and number three in manufacturing. And, you know, we're still waiting on New Jersey, Illinois, Illinois, Georgia, we're great to put in New York. So I've tried to figure out ways to kind of, you know, participate in every way possible. You know what I'm saying? And I've been having some success. So to answer your question, how can you support me? Right. We are constantly always raising money. Um, you know, all these new opportunities that come, you have, like I said, you have to find a way to fund them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you could be my first investor, mm -hmm. you know, from this call. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we from there. <laughs> well, my brother, I'm going to tell you something, Al, man. It's, it's, first of all, you know, we're going to talk off our line because you're brilliant, man. I, I, I just feel that uh, uh, as part of the service of your business is you. Like, you know, magic is his business. You know what I'm saying? You have that same charisma. Your intellect is off the chart. Your articulation is a, you're a beast and your smile is brilliant. And so, uh, again, man, I, I want to thank you for reuniting with me, Al Harrington, and uh, getting to talk and just see what your life is treating you well, man. And uh, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations, Al. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. We will be right back with more Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hollywood is changing its perception of African-American programming. Just ask entertainment trailblazer Deborah Martin Chase, who is currently the executive producer on Queen Latifah's new CBS drama series, The Equalizer. I got in this business because when I was growing up, I did not see people on screen who looked or felt like me. And so I wanted to break down stereotypes. I wanted to create images that would empower us and would help people to understand that, you know, they had the power to do whatever they wanted to do in life. And there was a period in Hollywood where people weren't interested in making movies about women, about people of color. It was all about the big tentpole movies and action movies. I would walk into offices and people's eyes would glaze over <laughs> when I told mm -hmm. them, you know, what I was thinking about. If you want to hear this full interview with Deborah Martin Chase, visit MoneyMakerConversation.com. Keep winning. Welcome back. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when there are parched or windy conditions out there, you got to be extra careful with things like burning yard waste. After all, wildfires can start anywhere, even in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go. Almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. 
Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. To Money-Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is a former NFL star, Herman Moore. Herman isn't a football player who now owns a business. He's a businessman who happens to have played professional football. Football is his playing career. That's something he did. Like, everybody has something they've done in their past. But should you hold on to it? And he's made that transition as a very successful NFL analyst, promoting products as a vendor. Cinnabon, I love Cinnabon. Business (laughs) consultant, corporate and nonprofits. He has been trading cryptocurrency, which I know nothing about. And I'm not saying he's next. Well, we definitely got to talk about that because that has been the top of my list. It has been the headlines of every financial trade magazine the last couple of years is cryptocurrency. And he is the founder of what all these products you see in front of me, Golden Grooming Company. I've had this product for about a month to schedule an interview. But guess what? I've been sneaking and using it now. You know, you, you kind of hold on to it. His product's so good. And this, this little comb right here I'm holding up, it sits on my desk because I have, everybody know I have a nice little beard. I keep my beard tight. You know what I'm saying? The company's mission is to help black young men and adult men look and feel their best because we believe that when you look good, you feel good. And then when you also do good. Please welcome the Money Making Conversation, Herman Moore. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Rashawn. Hey, Herman, I'm telling you, man, this right here, because my, my staff, they said, Rashawn, we finally got her on. I said, hey, man, I, I, I kind of know him because this little comb here sits on my desk <laughs> every day. So I, at least for three or four times is on my face. And so these are the type of products that you have for Golden Grooming that makes everything accessible and makes it comfortable for a person like me can carry in your bag. I can like this little comb right here. I can slip it in my top pocket and nobody would ever notice it. Correct. That, yeah, that's, that's correct. Uh, what we look for is grooming is something that I think we all need to pay attention to, uh, especially when you're looking at trying to make sure you present yourself uh, as your best. And we, we know that, when you, you you feel good and you look good, you do good. I mean, yes. that's just that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if we provide those products and we not just products, but high quality products at an affordable price, uh, that allows us to be able to make an impact there. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about all your product, because they sent me a nice little line from the brush to I, like off air. I, I shared a little secret with you. You have this uh, small patch solid cologne, which I've never seen in my life. You know, we, we all know colognes come in a little squirt bottle, a little spray. You have what? Uh, what? What made you think of this idea? Because I love it. And I, again, something else I carry with me when I travel. So it really it, it, it makes me believe that you are a forward thinking individual because you're thinking of things that a person like me who's super busy, who wants to stay groomed, but also likes to smell good, but not I would like to use the word discreetly and also carry comb and accessories discreetly, but still have them available because they have high quality. Talk about this, uh, this small patch solid cologne. 
Yeah, the, the, the solid cologne is a nice little product because when you typically use aerosol or you use a spray, mm-hmm. there's a lot of it that's being lost in the air. Mm-hmm. In trend, you know, when you're trying to transition it from that actual packaging to your, your body or your, your fabric or wherever you, you place your cologne. But with this, it's just an application that is simply rub it on and it stays on pretty good. It, it really has nice scents and smells. We're going to be coming out with a different line. So the solid cologne, it not only gives you a, a further, a, a longer yield in terms of the product, uh, but it also gives you the convenience that you've mentioned of being able to take it with you wherever you want. And if you want to, you know, just tap it in and refresh up a little bit, you could do that. Um, I can't take credit for that. That is our, our, our development team. That is our, um, our scientist and our chemist that we have that constantly are working on ways to provide uh, better quality products and also just innovative products to the, to the marketplace. Well, you know, this is why I love it because of the fact you're absolutely right. Cause you, you, you've seen some people, they, they spray it in the air and they walk into the, walk into the aroma of the scent. Or sometimes when I have a, the aerosol, I point it towards me and then it hits sometimes on my clothes, not exactly where I want it. And then I finally have control of my cologne. That's what I really like about it. If I want to put it on my neck, I want to put it on my wrist. I feel comfortable with that. I really, really think that this is something I've never seen this before. That's why I have to bring it up at the top of our conversation, Herman, because of the fact that I know you're giving credit to somebody else for doing it, but you have to be the visionary and bringing it to the stores. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. And we, we always look at also, um, Coming, you mentioned earlier some of my earlier ventures like Cinnabon, and we looked at everyone had to have, for instance, like the cinnamon rolls, a big cinnamon roll, and you had to have the knife and the fork to eat it. Then we started getting into what was called minis because we wanted to have something that was a little bit more portable. Mm-hmm. It has a different functionality to it. That's no different. You have to constantly look at ways to improve and innovate within your product category or your service category. And that's what allows you to be able to distinguish yourself and differentiate yourself from the competition. Uh, but also you're you're also addressing a need. Anytime you can solve problems, and then also we can also eliminate uh, waste and mm-hmm. add profitability to our mm-hmm. company, but also mm-hmm. give a greater yield to mm-hmm. the customer. Mm-hmm. You're giving a, a mutually beneficial uh, value back. And I, I will take credit in the fact that that is what we look for. That's what I look for all the time mm-hmm. uh, because you, you want to make sure that you have a very balanced business approach. I'm going to just tell you something, man, about Cinnabon. I, wouldn't, I, was, I was just going to say it as a credit, you know, but you're going to just bring it up in our conversation. So now you because I'm a, I'm a dessert nut. Everybody knows that about me. Now, the, you have the minis and then you have the regular huge ones. And see, I like to get that right when they put in the, put in the, uh, the cream on top, you know. I, I like it when you, you know, it's hot. I'm just telling you, man. And so I'm gonna just tell you, it's the same bond now, the mini and the regular, but the regular tastes so much better. I'm just gonna let you, Herman. For some reason, getting that yeah, big yeah. old piece of bond and breaking it up and taking that fork and separating it, you can't go wrong, man. I know, I know the whole packaging about the minis, but those, those giant, I call them giants, since you have the mini now. But the, those are the way to go, man. The, the regular size are the way to go. I, I can tell you this. I can tell you're not eating many of those because those things pack a lot of calories. Don't let the size fool you. It was rolled with love in it. And <laughs> it was rolled and we had that, that, that taste. We had to make sure that we know, hey, Rashawn's coming in. It makes sure his has got that extra icing on it Ooh, and all hey, that give me goo a, on it. That a glass want. of milk, See, Herman? A glass of milk? Come on now, brother. You're you going to run me out all that right. store. You're going to run me out that store. And I, I really, you know, Ben, let's go a little history because I'm a football fan. 
And I, so I know about your athletic abilities on the field. But we all know there is a time that you're going to realize that you can't play anymore. You, you, you can hear it every day, like average life expenses of a football player, maybe five years, five or six years of a full-time NFL player. Now, when did you start transitioning mentally into saying, I want to be, what is my life after football? Well, I, I started doing it. My career ended in 2002, and I really started making that transition my final year, uh, 2000, 2001. I started reading for about a year and learning a little bit about the industries that I wanted to approach, uh, understanding also, was I going to basically start do a startup or was I going to take on a franchise system? Mm -hmm. And I chose to go with Mailbox, et cetera, which was my very first franchise that I purchased. And then from there, I ended up becoming uh, the second largest Cinnabon partner, owning all of Florida and all of uh, Michigan stores. And during that process, I assembled and put together a team that will help me with the operations because that wasn't my background. Uh, my background is in marketing and communications, uh, but I wanted to make sure I surrounded myself with those that would, would give me the right advice. Now, I will say this. You can put all the people around you that you want, mm -hmm. but if you don't understand what they're doing mm -hmm. and the direction that they're leading you or the information that they're giving you, then it's, it's really not doing you that great of a cause because then it's all based on who they are and the character uh, that they possess on whether or not they're leading you down the right path. Right. So I, I, I learned, I had some bumps and bruises in there, but at the same time, it's allowed me to become a very disciplined business owner uh, now mm -hmm. uh, going through all those experiences. So it would be tough to change any of those things. See, I've been keeping you in business. Now you say you're in Florida and all that. I actually have been keeping you in business because I used to go to Orlando okay. all the time because they got a Cinnabon right there in Orlando that I would go into all the time. When I, when I look at you as a leader, because this was this is about leadership. This is about team, about walking in. Because you're also saying you 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 because I'm assuming you're based in the in the Detroit area. Am I correct? That's correct. Okay, so when you say you have businesses that are not drivable. How do you maintain that level of management, that level of professionalism to make sure you're meeting your your bottom line and your expectations of service to people, even though you can't just walk in the door and check? Yeah, well, what I did is uh, interesting. I, I've always been into technology and getting involved with this allowed me to bring some of the discipline, not only as a, a, an athlete and just having this very regimented process in which we go by, but I brought the concept of team knowing that it was more than just myself. So you, when you talk about that leadership, it's no different. It's transitioning that into the business world and knowing that you're willing to go in, not only learn all the, the things that my employees were doing and my team members, but also to show them that I was willing to put in the work. And, and by doing that, they saw I was an absentee owner, mm -hmm. uh, that I was very much hands-on, uh, but I wasn't so much to where it was granular and that I was micromanaging uh, them, but I was showing that there was uh, there was an expectation uh, that there was accountability on all levels uh, from your top down, uh, and then from there, it's it's really learning from your mistakes. You're going to make mistakes in business. You're going to make mistakes in life. It's all about what do you do with those lessons and those those things that don't quite work sometimes, and the things that do work well. How do you utilize that to help you continue along that path? And for me, I was able to take all of those elements and and really start to develop what I call a playbook. So it's, right. it's, again, bringing in a lot of those, that, you know, I don't try and use the analogy of sports all the time, but it is, is developing a playbook that leads you down this path to success. And um, that that's really been all about it. So watching my business, when you mentioned that, I put technology in place. I actually started to develop a back-end piece on our point-of-sale systems 
which will allow me at that time to receive real-time receipts uh, mm -hmm. to my computer, which mm -hmm. wasn't was unheard of at that point because you typically had to get the printed receipts and then have everyone fax that to you. Right. Uh, but we were able to develop programs to do that. And every time I've, I've been part of a, any type of business or startup, I've looked at what resources are available, including technology as being a platform and a foundation of that work. Well, you know, an interesting thing, when I listen to you, your articulation, your professionalism, you just happen to play football, Herman. You know, because <laughs> I consider Magic Johnson a good friend of mine. And, you know, even before he became a basketball star, he wanted to be a business owner. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. And he's, and he's, and he's shown it after his basketball life has ended. He's equally as a Hall of Famer in the business world as he has been on the basketball court. What did it all start for you, this mentality to be an entrepreneur? What did it start for you? You know, you came from a single-parent home. Talk about that upbringing that shifted you in this direction about where you are at today. It was always, you know, it goes back to my my youth. Uh, I started out in school and I, I was in the Head Start program, which has been in the news as of late uh, mm -hmm. in some areas. And uh, you, you're giving, you're already put at a limitation sometimes before you get started. I noticed when I went into a college or high school, I was always directed into courses that were really weren't challenging me. They weren't going to, they weren't going to to stretch me. Mm -hmm. or put me in a place where I get to go and say, okay, can I test and utilize all the ability that I have? Now, they give me that opportunity in sports when they, they can see that potential in the athleticism, but why can't you see that potential in my, my, my ability from a, a mental standpoint and from an intelligence standpoint? Um, and quite often, sometimes we start to buy into that. So I stopped buying into that uh, long into, you know, very early into my football right. career, mm -hmm. uh, midway through my, my college. A career, I started realizing that, you know what, I'm not going to take these classes just that's going to keep me eligible. I want to take classes that were going to provide me a career in the event that football doesn't work out because it's not going to be long-term. Uh, transition that into the football, uh, professional football stage. I started to see that as much as we think we're in control, we don't own the team. We don't right. own the ability to, to really create our fate. Uh, you could be a great player. And at that time I was doing really well, but if I have a disagreement with my coach, he still has the ability just as an owner mm -hmm. of a business to basically fire me or right. let me go. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to make sure I always had control of my destiny. And from there, I decided I would never settle for good when great is available. Well, no, and I heard that one place uh -huh. and I said, you know what, going forward, everything that I do, I'm always going to push the envelope. I'm always going to try and figure out disruption in a good way, yes. not in a negative way, yes. but one that would always say, am I truly trying and achieving at that level that is afforded to me as a person, as an individual? You know, it's really interesting when I hear you because, you know, the, the modern athlete, and I said the modern athlete, maybe the last, you know, I, I put you in that modern athlete group because it was after 2000 that uh, the, the, the mentality changed. You know, it was all about, you know, football and then football in and in players were just shocked, you know, what they was going to do with the next step. Now we have the modern athlete who are planning after the game. You know, a, a classic modern athlete is LeBron James. A classic modern athlete is Magic Johnson. A classic modern, modern, modern athlete is Steph Curry. You are a classic modern athlete, but you are earlier than them. So who, who are your role models, Herman, to, uh, to point you in the right direction that you should be like this, that you should be prepping for this? Because you seem to have laid a great foundation for a future as an entrepreneur post-football. 
All right. Yeah. So being in Detroit, we are around a lot of very successful uh, former athletes like Vinnie Johnson, uh, owning and running a, a billion dollar enterprise. Uh, Dave Bing, former basketball player, uh, professional basketball mm -hmm. player, becoming a mayor as well as uh, having successful businesses. I watched Magic Johnson. I looked at how he started to command his brand, uh, not just on the basketball court, but what he started to do in terms of getting the value out of that, not just I'm going to show up and be the face of something, but actually owning it. Um, that was that was empowerful and impactful for me to see. Uh, Michael Jordan going in and saying, you know what, I'm going to have a brand that runs a line. Mm -hmm. uh, if I want to stay in the sports world that mm -hmm. we have with the Nike, but I'm going to have my own brand that mm -hmm. is is just that is solely him mm -hmm. and and it's going to run parallel, but just as powerful or more recognized than even that. And he elevates like, in my opinion. So it's, it's, those are the, the people that I could look at. And there's many, many more. I'm sure if I, I really start to think back about it, but right. I said, you know what? I see people who have, pet, have paved the way uh, out of a profession like mine and that you can talk about entertainment. You can talk about actors and actresses. You can talk about successful business people as a whole, but if you, the, the playbook is there, right? You just have to be a student and willing to receive it. And I was listening to TD Jakes one time. And he talked about how sometimes we run uh, behind opportunities, sometimes we run ahead of it. But we got to figure out a way in which we put ourselves to where we're running parallel, Absolutely. to where we're not missing it. We're not there before we're supposed to be, and we're not behind it, always never being able to catch up. And I've tried to figure out to position myself that way. And so you, you take all these things in, and you have a recipe. And uh, but you got to be willing to put in the work. Well, you know, the, the, the key is use work. But also when I read on your history, it's always about young people. I hear the, like even the even golden grooming is about young people preparing themselves, looking professional, feeling good about themselves. And then you have a new uh, program, it's an entrepreneurship program or uh, your foundation, Tackle Life Foundation that you have you launched already or what stage is it? of that foundation called Tackle Life, which is like tackling somebody, but tackling life instead <laughs> of a player on the field. So you're about tackling life, and that's the foundation that it's based on. Talk about it. Yep. So the Tackle Life Foundation, I actually started running it uh, as a private organization in 2009. Uh, then I, be, I got my um, foundation certified in 2016. And the, the I've always done camps. I've always done something that would try and bring empowerment or have a touch point with young adults to where we can still touch them and, and influence their foundational growth. And what I see is that you have to be able to reach back and not, it's not about what I do and what's appealing to me, but it's what does the world itself offer and how do we extract those different abilities and the mindset from individuals say, who am I? And how can I take this, this knowledge or this opportunity and apply it to my vision and my goal? So everything that we do has been around that. We've done programs from uh, computer programming. So we de design websites and build um, different types of projects uh, that require robotics. Uh, right. We also now are into e-gaming and e-sports, which is a big thing. There's grants and scholarships, especially at the HBCUs. Uh, that are getting really big into the e-sports e and e-gaming platforms. Uh, we, with this entrepreneurship program, if you look at the African-American community, we're very entrepreneurial. Right. However, the failure rate is high because we don't have access to not only the partnerships, the revenue, the tools. Uh, when I go and I meet with these large manufacturers, the first thing I saw, Rashawn, was that they mentioned they would love, and I won't right. name these big retailers. These are your major, major retailers. They said, you know what? 
we we want the African American products, we want the minority based products, but you know what? The product quality isn't there. The labeling isn't there. They don't have the systems and the logistics to be able to handle the workload or the the capacity of the distribution that we need. They don't have these these things. Well, question I have for them is: Are you providing resources through your manufacturing partners to afford them that opportunity? And not many were. And then I looked at who we were, and that's what spawned this entrepreneurship program to say, we are a manufacturer. We're not relying on someone to help us. We get the raw goods. We also, through Team 84, my parent company, we do logistics and transportation and procurement and all these things and packaging. So we know what? We'll do this ourselves. We'll create an entrepreneurship program to help us bring those young, aspiring people in who would love to learn about manufacturing of products and services that we offer. Mm -hmm. And then we would team up with them to actually launch that vision. And mm-hmm. we're going to create this marketplace. So we've already started this program under leadership of a person I brought in who has done a great job. Her name is Chrissy Zavakar. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's our chief uh, marketing and communications officer, but she mm-hmm. also runs our, our program. And we're going. We're, we're on our way. <laughs> and we, we already have identified about four or five uh, different companies or that we're going to start with uh, youth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very excited. Very, very excited about it. And it costs them nothing. Right. That's the beautiful thing. Well, it's not going to cost them anything to do. Well, let me, let me, let's, let's slow it down and talk about it because you, you said a lot, but I, you, you mentioned your communication director and your CMO. And we know the name Tackle Life Foundation started in 2009, official 2016, which was officially recognized as a foundation. How does one, is it a, a limit to the amount of uh, students, uh, young adults? Is it age requirements? What are the requirements for participating in the Tackle Life Foundation opportunities? Well, for the for that particular program, the entrepreneurship program, it starts with the age of 18. Uh, we will go below that, but you have to get parents involved and then you're mm-hmm. executing documents with them. Mm-hmm. So we're we're looking at for those particular programs at a at a different age group. And right. up. Uh, we don't necessarily put a cap because people can be entrepreneurial all their lives. Yes. And uh, for us, we don't put restrictions or limitations there. And to qualify for that, uh, we've created a website. That should be up here in about a month. Okay. Uh, that will start to open it up to the public. We put we pick a few groups to work with. We're working with uh, the juvenile justice system uh, mm-hmm. to work with some that are are incarcerated and or are getting out that need to have a place and a vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wanted to start where areas of need would be there. We're also working with some of the youth organizations where we will hand select a few that have vision to come in and participate in our program. But we're going to open this up and. Uh, if you qualify, that'd be great. But we will do, you know, some contract manufacturing as well. Mm-hmm. I have to mention that uh, for those that are looking for partnerships that will help them scale, so they don't have to do it out their house. Right, right. <laughs> uh, right. So we, they can definitely reach out to us uh, in, in at that capacity, and we're going to do as much as we can uh, within our means to to be able to help. Well, I, I would tell you this: uh, I want to know more, and I would love to uh, learn more, be a part of this for you. Uh, my, my talents, uh, I've been doing this since I was 18 years old, uplifting, educating. My, deg- my background degree is in mathematics, my minor is sociology, worked five years for IBM, so uh, I have executive training, and I'm an entrepreneur. So in hearing this for the first time on this show, I'm going to just let you know, if you're looking for volunteers, always know I'm available. I'm not just saying that because I'm on this show trying to get in good, good with you. Because I already got my grooming stuff. I don't need you no more. (laughs) (laughs) But I just know that what you're doing is important, especially for men of color. 
And uh, and if I, if I'm in a position to help you, I will help you. Okay. Yeah, I really appreciate that, and uh, by all means, I will reach out because. I can't do it alone. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Cool. Well, I'm going to switch gears to another subject that I know nothing about, but is making the headlines, cryptocurrency. First of all, explain to my listeners and viewers, what exactly is cryptocurrency? Well, it depends on who you're speaking with. There there are many of us who think that it is a decentralized uh, service in in the financial market that allows uh, very seamless transactions and the, the, the purchase of, of, of just basically this, this coin that people think is just a phantom value. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it is a way in which to be able to move um, dollars around uh, in, a, in a digital space uh, versus using fiat, which is you know, what we use now, the American dollar or something that is more physical and tangible that's tied to a, um, um, some type of um, collateral. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's something that I think is worth looking at. And as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I'm not an expert on it, but what I've learned is I look at the value of systems. I look at blockchain technology and I look at a way in which you improve on some of the deficiencies that you find in the financial system. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think has grown, has pretty much grown quite a bit and has caught the attention of many of those in the financial space. But the regulations are a lot lighter uh, than what, uh, and unregulated than what you see in the central right. banking system. Uh, but uh, as those things get ironed out, I think there is a play here. I don't think it's going away. Well, I'm, and I'm pretty sure it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could put regulations there, but there's just too many places and parts of the world. And it's a global participation. This isn't just about the United States. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I mainly just play around with uh, uh, some of the, the smaller coins, uh, mm-hmm. but I will find some that uh, especially Ethereum, uh, that is is where I, I put more of my time and effort. Well, 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 before I close, you know, we talked about the the golden grooming, which I, like I said, this is at my desk every day. I'm letting you know, Herman, I use this. I I use this man. It makes me feel good. I like to believe it makes me look good. Okay, <laughs> that was about yeah. cutting from my mustache right there. I'm, I'm grooming, brother, right in front of you on this interview. Okay. And uh, but more importantly, we talked about you, your, 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 your giving back. We talk about your ability to run a country from run, run your business from state across this country using technology. Now you're in the podcast world and you I, I'm a big fan of this deep, deep voice uh, uh, sidekick of yours, Lomas Brown. How did you why did you decide <laughs> to get into the podcast world with offensive tackle Lomas Brown? Talk about that. Your former Detroit Tiger, Detroit Lions teammate. Yeah, so with Lomas, uh, what a great, great guy. Uh, we uh, ended up being teammates uh, when I came in in 1991. Mm-hmm. He was probably the toughest guy on me because linemen don't like for you to make a mistake because if you drop a pass, that could have led 50 yards closer <laughs> to the end zone. That's 50 less yards they have to work off of. So uh, they, they threatened me quite a bit, which made me an all-pro wide receiver and actually do my job. <laughs> but afterwards... Uh, he is someone who is very much engaged in the community. He's very philanthropic. Uh, he He's just the nicest, nicest guy you could ever meet. And because of that, I, I wanted to figure out a space for him within, first and foremost, our company. So bringing him in as our chief diversity mm-hmm. and uh, business development uh, arm, that was awesome. Uh, he's done a tremendous job there. But then he and I both have been in media for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And having that background, we decided why not build a studio in our office 
why not come up with our own uh, camera crew, our podcast equipment, and start to do our own show. So we started a show because Lomas always, if you don't, if you get to know him, the first thing he had, he will say when he leaves a meeting with you, say, next time we get together, let's break bread. Yes. And so yes. we decided to call our show Breaking Bread. Awesome. And uh, from then on, we've been having a blast. It allows us to talk about things that are relevant to us, things that are relevant to our community and, and to our base uh, of, of listeners and viewers. So that's uh, it's been fun. As you know, as having your own show, it, it's liberating and it's rewarding because it gives you a voice in a place um, that is, a, again, another channel and a platform that's afforded to us that, you know, we can we can go out and be ourselves. Well, I, 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 I'm a fan of you. I'm a fan of Lomas. And uh, how does one get talent on your show? Do, do you have a booking agency that books the talent? We just you, know, you just call them out of the blue? Herman, how do people get on your show, man? Or is it just you and him talking all the time? Y'all just hogging all the information. How do people get on y'all podcast, man? <laughs> Come on now. We, we're not going to just hog it all by ourselves. We're going to make sure we get some other people in there that like to talk. Uh, but, uh, but for now, it's been us reaching out um, to other people that we know. Uh, we have a, a, a plethora of, Absolutely. of people that we've met and we've, we've, we work with over our careers. But also with, uh, again, I mentioned Chrissy Zavakar, who has been really good at uh, working with us to help bring in that talent as well as be the communication channel and making sure that gets facilitated and booked. Uh, but yeah, she's the one who's, she's running that show for us. She's running the background. Her background was, just so you know, uh-huh. uh, she used to manage all of the content and digital content for the Detroit Lions for over seven years. Mm-hmm. And then she came in to become part of awesome. our team. We've known her. So there's a comfort level there. She mm-hmm. knows us as people and personalities. Um, so we had a, we had a really good team and, uh, I, I look forward, you got to have moments and I on your show and then you got to come on our show. That's a You got to tell us what your favorite food is. You got to eat when you're talking with us. I, I, that, that's brother. I'm going to tell I probably, cause I got a kitchen upstairs. I probably make some pies and some donuts while I'm talking to you doing the interview, teasing you. And you keep saying how skinny I am. I'm going to just let you know how I eat. Right on your interviews, doing the interview right, on your well, show. Well, oh, uh, the word. Okay, well, we'll do it. You know, we we got a soul food capital around here. There too. you go. Uh, there so you go. Don't make me have to put the spread out. I'll oh, put the spread out there on work. our side, that'll, and that'll, uh, I'm gonna make you'll make your mouth all watery, and you're gonna be over there salivating too. So not just it. me. I love it. Not I tell you, it's a great interview, man. I appreciate the product. I'll be promoting your products in my newsletter on my uh, social media. Got like a million followers, so I just been waiting to get you on the show. And I have some friends of mine. I'm gonna tell them about uh, tell to contact me. I'm going to get my boy Stephen A. Smith on your show. Susie, all the previous for Cedric and Entertain, I'm going to let them know about the show. So I just want to help you blow up, man, because you're a great person. You're doing a lot for the community. You made the transition. You're smart. And you got a sense of humor. And you're with my boy Lomas Brown. There it is. <laughs> Breaking Brown with Lomas Brown. I appreciate that. And uh, uh, the feelings mutual. And thank you so much for having me on to talk about what we do. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Comedian Kim Coles is known for her famous role as a cast member on the hit TV series, Living Single. Now Kim has been sharing her gifts of public speaking, motivation, and training leaders in community groups, companies, and women conferences. And what it really is about is creating a community of like-minded individuals in which my business partner and I coach them through building their business. We did a masterclass on self-care. It really 
really means rest. It means setting boundaries. It means saying no, where saying yes would deplete you further. It means filling your cup so that you can serve others. My ladies are more busy now than they were before the pandemic hit because they realized, oh, I've got a vision. I've got to keep going. And I'm building an empire that will last longer than me. This is about building legacy. If you want to hear this full interview with Kim Cole, visit MoneyMakingConversations.com. Keep winning. In this season of giving, Kohl's has gifts for all your loved ones. For those who like to keep it cozy, find fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Or support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide. Give with all your heart this season with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. When's the last time you took a time out? I'm Eve Rodsky, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fair Play and Find Your Unicorn Space, activist on the gender division of labor, attorney and family mediator. And I'm Dr. Aditi Narukar, a Harvard physician and medical correspondent with an expertise in the science of stress, resilience, mental health and burnout. We're so excited to share our podcast, Time Out, a production of iHeart Podcasts and Hello Sunshine. We're peeling back the layers around why society makes it so easy to guard men's time like it's diamonds and treat women's time like it's infinite, like sand. And so whether you're partnered with or without children or in a career where you want more boundaries, this is a place for you, for people of all family structures. So take this time out with us to learn, get inspired, and most importantly, reclaim your time. Listen to Time Out, a Fair Play podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 